Hey guys, it's Jessica. And this is Kendra. And you're listening to Lucid Lab. We're in my house today. Yeah. My new place. We're mixing it up, trying a new place today. Ay, ay, ay. It's, it's been, been a, a whirlwind. weekend. We've been talking about you moving for a while and you're I here. Know. I'm here and it's not all put together, but I managed to put this together. I know. I'm impressed. I came in. I was like, whoa, it's like a whole little podcast Box studio, space. even yeah. though you literally moved in what two days ago two and a like a day and a half you've only spent yeah Yeah. so it's a mess (laughs) (laughs) but we're still doing this because yeah that's what we do gotta do what we gotta do yeah yeah so far it's just my part of my bedroom set up my daughter's bedroom is set up and I put away the kitchen but everything else is boxes everything's in in my garage (laughs) (laughs) I remember when I moved last I still had boxes in my garage from when I had moved into the last place I don't want to do that again because I did that at the place I was at for 12 years Mm -hmm. when I finally went down into the basement to go through all my stuff I'm like wow I boxed this stuff like 15 years ago and I haven't seen any of it good thing about that is I made a lot of runs to arc Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> You've been getting your donations in. And I have, here. I have so much more, but at one point I couldn't actually go through anything anymore because I was running out of time. And then you're just like, I got to move it and figure it out later. Yeah. yeah. And it wasn't an easy week for me because I had to, I say this every, ep- every episode, <laughs> I work so much. I had to work so much, but I also was trying to pack up everything in my life. And at the same time, I had mentioned this before too. My kitty was seeming mm. like she wasn't doing well. And last week she passed away. And that was hard because I was with her for a few days in this state. Now I've had her 19 years and my heart just broke. And the world's like, you got to keep moving, though. You know, yeah, you don't have time to properly mourn. I'm sure it's going to hit me harder once I've been a little bit more settled here. Yeah. Because even now, like when I stop and I think about her for a second, like my body wants to start bawling Crying. yeah but then there's like this other little thing in my brain that's like no, no time you for don't that have time for that <laughs> you don't it's get time to be sad but it yeah. does all build up so at some point you're going to have a good cry I know I will. and what's helped me is i have one kitty left mm-hmm. my safira and if you guys want to see what any of our animals look like we have a post on instagram somewhere Yes, all of them. it's one of our first posts, I think. Well, and Jewel was a heart, and now she's a rainbow. Yeah. So that's hurts. But my other little kitty, I always call them kitties because they're literally the size they're of tiny. kitties. <laughs> <laughs> she's also 19 years old, and because Jewel's gone now, she's taken the opportunity to be with me 24-7. Before, yeah. she couldn't do that because Jewel was always my with me 24-7 cat, always oh, on my, my hip yes. and always on my head. And now that she's not there, now Safira is. So at least I have that. She's fluffy. Yes. (laughs) You have some cute little kitty to cuddle up with. She's also my liquor, though. Oh. And it hurts. (laughs) So (laughs) my cat, the other night I was just laying on the couch and she just jumped up and I was you know, looking on my phone or whatever. And all of a sudden on the bottom of my foot, she started licking. Lick- I was like, oh, <laughs> it's, it's so it's rough. sandpaper. <laughs> I know. And it tickles and a little bit. Especially when they like go on the same spot forever. And I'm yes. like, oh, I'm, like I'm done. I'm done. They're like, you. But you taste good. You they taste like us. salt. <laughs> yes. <laughs> they never lick us because they love us. They lick I thought us it was because they wanted to groom us, which was a sign that they think we're another cat. No, I've always just thought it's because I'm a little bit we sweaty. Taste good. <laughs> my dogs, I've always licked my feet too. It's I think like, theirs is more endearing than yeah, I don't cats. know. So new start. Here we are. Yes, here but we are. It's good. It is. 
I'm excited for us to have spaces like we've mentioned before at both of our houses. Yeah. The flexibility that comes with that is just going to be huge, life changing for us. Yeah. Um, once we get through this busy summer with moving and family trips and things like that. Mm-hmm. So, but oh my gosh, it's already half way gone. I really need to play catch up on letting my daughter do some summery things. Yeah, I get to a pool. Well, we have one. That's right. You have a pool now. I'm (laughs) going to be over here all the time when I'm back in town. (laughs) You know, and her birthday is right when school starts. Oh, so you got to plan that out too. Yeah. Well, I have an exciting story that I haven't had a chance to tell you yet. I guess it was Monday or Tuesday of this week. I was driving home. It was probably around like six or seven o'clock at night. And I live, you know where I live, you've been there, but it's like a very suburban part of Boulder, Colorado, nowhere Mm -hmm. near the mountains. And there's a trail that I walk every single day and it's the little creek trail. Me and Jessica will walk that when we're at my house on break. And it's where everybody goes with their dogs and all of this. So I'm driving home and there's something sitting on the sidewalk like right on the main road that goes right before we turn into our neighborhood. And I thought it was a dog because it was kind of out of the corner of my eye. And my kid was with me and they were like, mom, what is that? And I said, I don't know. And I look over. An alien? It was a bear. Oh, my God. (laughs) A full black bear. In your neighborhood. Just (gasps) sitting on the sidewalk. Like he was just hanging out. Oh, my gosh. And it was like, like I said, probably around like seven o'clock at night. And as we drove up, he like looked at us and I was like, I got to get my camera. I got to take a picture of this. And then he bolted and he turned around but he ran right down to the creek oh where I walk every single night that's scary and so I've never experienced a bear sighting in a neighborhood like that so I was like what do I do I keep thinking I'm gonna get mugged and you have to worry about bears walking (laughs) at night How he can must have came so far. So, new fear unlocked for me. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> Don't be carrying food with you. So anyway, oh, wait. You are the food. I am. I'm the snack. I. I call Colorado Parks and Wildlife. I'm like, what do I do? And they were closed. And so it said, call the state trooper. I called the state trooper and I said, this is where I live. I saw a bear and she just started laughing. And she said, yeah, we got a lot of reports from that area yesterday. She said that bear is having a good old time. And then she goes, this may sound really bad, but we actually don't do anything until an animal causes a problem. Which I understand. Yes, Especially when it comes to, it's always pissed me off when wildlife is just taken out because they're a nuisance to or people. Or they euthanize these right, animals. Exactly. But it does kind of concern me. Yeah. I mean, there are children who are playing in that and, area. And yes, okay. kids are running around on their bikes back there, not always with their parents. And so uh, yeah. he's a veggie bear. He doesn't care. Although I know (laughs) they say the Colorado bears aren't very aggressive. Like they actually run from people. So what I would be worried about is some asshole kids who maybe decide to poke at it. Poke the bear. Yeah. (laughs) Literally. Quite literally. (laughs) And then maybe he will become like, yeah, just leave him alone. And then if he does something, they have to euthanize him. And that sucks. And I have to say he was really cute. Yeah, I'm sure he was. I wish he didn't have like razor blade claws because you touch him I wanted to pet him (laughs) and the cutest little face I have never been that close to a bear honestly because it was like except at the zoo yeah (laughs) like in the wild right I have always wanted to see a bear but probably not in my neighborhood (laughs) no because you really do have that suburban type neighborhood that's kind of scary and I walk every single night so I have not been on a walk for the three nights I am well I walk before it gets dark oh so not really then. <laughs> I see lots of snakes. And actually, speaking of other animal experiences, uh, Drew got a text. So Drew, my boyfriend, got a text the other day from our next door neighbor. 
and they said, will you come over here? I got a boa in the back. <laughs> it was basically, it was a bull snake and it was five and a half feet long oh, and wow. he has a picture of him holding, just holding it. it. He loves snakes. Like he just goes and picks them up and oh. then he, he took it down to the creek, which is now hanging out with the bear. <laughs> so we got a five foot bull snake and a bear That's funny. in our creek. Remember when we were walking and you were telling me we have snakes and I was like, can I pick one up? And you're like, I think so. <laughs> Drew does. This is the third snake I've but seen we didn't pick see up. one. <laughs> I've seen, uh, I went walking after we did and I saw another little, but I only see they're like the five the foot little baby, ones. baby ones. I haven't five seen foot baby ones, five inch, the five inch baby ones. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So let's see what else have I been up to? Oh, something else I did for the first time, I think since I was like 15 years old. So I ended up going to top golf nearby. I've never done that. I had never I've done talked, it either. I have talked to a lot of people about it, but I still have never done it because I, it's hard to justify spending that much money if I don't even know if I'm going to hit the ball. <laughs> That's how I felt. So my whole family golfs. My dad's a big golfer, my uncle, all my cousins. And I did golf lessons when I was 15 at a driving range. And that's the only time I've ever really hmm. golfed. And so I was thinking the same thing. I'm like, I'm going to go make a fool of myself because I'm going to miss the ball. I'm going to throw this stick in someone's face. I just know it. <laughs> I ended up, I only missed the ball twice oh. and I ended up winning. Oh, wow. Against, One game. Oh, yourself? It was, just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I was very excited uh, because I did better than Drew. Oh, good. Getting back for that pool stuff. Yes. <laughs> That's funny. So I was proud of myself. I think I got like 72 points. I don't know what that means. <laughs> I didn't either. So but out of 100? It, I don't know. <laughs> it's opposite of golf because usually you want less points. But at Top Golf, you want more points because you're trying to hit targets. And oh, okay. I was actually hitting targets. So I had a lot of fun. And if you go on Tuesdays, it's half price oh, because well, it that's is good very expensive. Yeah, it is. What is it? Like $60 an $63 hour? $63 an hour on the Per person, right? Uh, no, you rent the whole thing and it's for oh, up it's to six like people. Bowling. Yeah. Okay. So if well, you get kind of like people, bowling. Yeah. Interesting. If you get six people, okay. it's only, you know, $10 a person. But don't you have to like pay some, I looked at it once, there was like an extra type of registration fee or something I can't so the remember. first time you go you have to pay five dollars for a membership but you never have to pay it again oh okay so I don't know what for that's all of about. you who don't know what top golf is because I just realized this that we're sitting here yeah <laughs> in our privileged Denver <laughs> we're in Denver how would you explain it's just where you it's a big driving range basically yeah but, but it's, it's multiple yeah. tiers multiple it's three uh, stories tall yeah. and it's set up kind of like similar to a bowling alley you have your own lane right and six people can go and they have all the clubs for you so you don't have to bring clubs with you hmm. and there's a tee and you hit it and, and just don't fall off yeah I, there are nets okay well that's, they do have nets to keep i don't people. think that they would be able to do because it's completely open you just fall yes. four stories and little kids are there all the yeah. time i wonder though they may put the little kids on the first floor it yeah for safety purposes i mean because i can imagine me just losing my balance you're not as close to the edge as you think because i okay. thought about that too because i'm kind of a clumsy person well i had a couple good things happen despite everything there's always something good right i had help moving for free which was really necessary for me because cremating my sweet kitty was way more than i expected it was like four hundred dollars and, you know, I cremated my dog last year and she was like 150. So I'm like, Whoa. why? And all she could explain to me was inflation, <laughs> pretty much. Uh, but I'm like on burning baby two and kitties. A half times. Like it was, <laughs> yeah, it was bad. But I got the help that I needed. And so for me, that was a blessing because otherwise yes. I wouldn't have been able to get out and do what I needed to do. And then I got 
sort of kind of like a home welcoming gift from someone and it was AirPods and I've never had them. And yeah. oh yeah, because I, I almost, I burnt my hand that one day. When your headphones got caught. Yeah, because my headphones are always getting caught on everything. Yeah. And I've only had them a day, but wow. Change your life, right? It did. <laughs> it really I just did. remember because I, I always listen to stuff when I was walking and I would get tangled up in the cords. Yeah. And not having that to worry about. It's huge. Life changing. But here's the problem that I didn't have previously. I walk away from my phone and then I can't find it. Because <laughs> I'm just, it lets me walk everywhere. Yes. And then I'm going to try and find my actual phone and I'm like, where is it? I have no idea. <laughs> yeah. I got a watch a few years ago and that has helped me out because it will ping my phone. Oh, okay. Because yeah. I do the same thing. I lay my phone somewhere because I'll be on a work call. I'll go downstairs to change laundry. I'll go get something from the fridge. And God knows where my phone is. Sometimes it's in the fridge. Oh, <laughs> that's true. And so having the thing to like make it ding. I wore a watch like that. It wasn't an Apple, but for a long time, just for my heart rate and stuff like yeah. that. I try to be a watch person, but I get it caught on so many things and I type all day long. Like it's just, I don't know. I don't like it. I am not a jewelry person in any way. Like I never wear necklaces. Except I don't earrings. wear rings. Yeah. Only earrings. But I only wear those when I go out. Oh. But never. Same thing because I type all the time. I can't do rings or bracelets. The only reason I can do this watch is because it fits so tight. Yeah. And but yeah, necklaces. I just always feel like things are in my way. Girls and guys, what is your what is your go to? Do you do earrings, necklaces, watches? Yeah, curious. Yeah, I'm I definitely do. more an earring person though. I, I love always, earrings. I always just have some studs in of some kind because yeah. it adds that little tiny bit of flair to your face. All right, what are we doing today? So today I chose a case, I guess it would be considered true crime, but I think it's going to get into a lot of other areas, a lot of discussion about mental well-being in the in our country specifically okay. and and mothers and fathers and roles when you have children. Mm. So I think this will be really interesting to talk about. Yeah. Uh, it, it's the story of Andrea Yates. And I know nothing. So, so I came to this story, just a little, I guess, background. So this happened in 2001 and Andrea Yates, this is a very tragic story. Uh, she made headlines in June of 2001 for probably one of the most heinous crimes you can imagine. Wait, she, is she the victim or the perpetrator? She's the perpetrator. Oh, okay. So she was charged with the murder of her five children. <gasps> oh my God. How would I have not heard it? Maybe I'll recognize something once you start talking more, but you may. Yeah. Yes. Oh my God. So this happened in Houston, Texas. I was on my last year of college at Texas A&M and College Station, which is only about an hour away from Clear Lake, Texas, which Clear Lake is a suburb of Houston. I remember I was pregnant actually with my first child. I was two months pregnant and I read this story and I was just appalled how oh could God, a mother God. kill all five of her children super depressed we'll, we'll go, we'll into, go it. into it yeah it caught the attention of everyone there were so many comments out there it was like all over the news because it was just oh, yeah, five. unimaginable. Oh my gosh. A lot of the opinions at the time were just that Andrea was a complete monster. Like she should get the death penalty. She should go to jail. How could any mother kill their kids? And like there was nothing talked about why. Right. It was just all of the very clear cut details of how she killed her children. Mm. And so uh, a lot of people were thinking that it was this crazy mother who was trying to get back at her husband by killing the kids. I didn't know if there was a divorce. I didn't really know any of the details. Right. And it kind of slipped my mind 
you know, because I got busy with school and then I had a kid myself. (laughs) And then exactly when we said, let's do a podcast and we're going to do true crime. I'm like, this is a story I want to go back to because I want to understand what happened. Five children. Mm -hmm. She drowned them in the bathtub. Okay. One by one. And we'll go into all the details, but the ages were between six months old and seven years old. All babies. Yeah. So the trial of Andrea Yates, when she did go up for trial, she was brought up for the death penalty. And we'll talk more about that. And it shocked the nation and it just made everyone wonder how could this have happened? Interestingly enough, when Yates drowned her children and the police showed up, she called 911. The police showed up and she confessed right away. She said, I did this. Wow. So although Yates readily and easily confessed to what she had done, what led up to her killing her five children had been building for years. Her story is complex and multifaceted. It includes odd family dynamics, fundamentalist religious beliefs, oh boy, clinical care that was fragmented at best, and the quirks and inadequacies of the American medical insurance system. All of these had some role in this family tragedy. You know, insurance, yeah. it's the death of us. I I have so many feelings about insurance. We're going to have a lot of conversation. Like at first, from a glance, you know, both of us are mothers. I can't imagine killing my child. No. I can't imagine it. And so that was me in 2001 when I heard this. I was like, Andrea Yates. Yeah, death penalty. This is a horrible woman. How could she do that? But we're going to see these are never cut and dry. No. And the system failed this family. I say not just Andrea, but the whole family right. in so many ways. And I think we're going to have a lot of discussion as we go through this. And I'm sure. Yeah. Because I'm just sitting here thinking how you not just once, but five times holds a child that came from you yes. underwater because that's not quick. No. And thrashing. And wow. This case highlights the lack of recognition of the potentially deadly consequences of postpartum depression and even postpartum psychosis, which is something that is never really talked about. It really isn't. And we will also discover and discuss the limitations of our justice system and how we deal with individuals who are mentally ill. So what went so horribly wrong that led Andrea down the path to kill all five of her children. Where was her support system? Was there ways this could have been prevented? Did her husband have any blame in this tragedy? Hmm. What about the questionable religious doctrines that had been delivered to her during her fragile mental state? (sighs) Yeah. How could this quiet, mild-mannered woman who was described by everyone who knew her as a wonderful mom change in the blink of an eye and kill her children within one hour? Oh, wow. All in an hour. All in an hour. Oh, my God. So keeping in line with our Lucid Lab brand, we're bringing you another episode of controversial aspects. (laughs) You decide. (laughs) And you get to decide for yourself what you think of Andrea's story and our justice system, our mental health care, and also just the pressure that is put on women to be perfect mothers. Every day, honey, every day. Yeah. We're going to get real passionate, guys. I so have a feeling get ready already. For a, get ready for some soapbox. <laughs> My goodness. So I want to go into the facts about what happened on that morning. And then we're going to talk about her background and everything else, because that's more of the story. Okay. So let's get through the really hard part. So the facts about what took place on the morning of June 20th, 2001, in the suburb of Clear Lake, Texas, home of Rusty and Andrea Yates, 
have never been in dispute. At around 9 a.m., the children had just finished their breakfast and their father was leaving for work. He worked for NASA. He was an engineer at the Johnson Space Center in Houston. Okay. When he left, his wife, Andrea, was eating cereal directly from the box. Oh. And watching cartoons with the kids. His mother was on the way over to help Andrea as she had been struggling with postpartum depression since the birth of Mary, their youngest child, Mm. who was only six months old. That day, Rusty could not wait any longer and his mother had not yet arrived. He had a presentation that he needed to be at Johnson Space Center for. Mm. He thought she would only be alone for about 20 to 30 minutes and he had to go. Oh, no. So it wasn't even like a planned amount of time that she would have been alone. So Andrea, and we'll get into more of her mental state and everything, but she, this is her fifth child. She had gone through postpartum depression. They had done this before. She had just had a relapse. And so his mother had come into town and was staying at a hotel nearby and coming over to help Andrea when he was not at home, just to make sure that everything was okay. Mm, Mary. Mary. My mommy's name. It was their first little girl. They had five children, four boys, and then they finally had their little girl. I know so many families like this. They're always waiting for the other, and they have a bunch. Yes. And then they're (laughs) like, just give me the girl, (laughs) just give me the boy. (laughs) Soon after Rusty left, Andrea Yates walked into the family bathroom and filled the bathtub with water. And then one by one, she called each child in. (sighs) She started with Luke, who was two years old. The children all thought they were just having a bath. Most of the information that I have about what happened that day comes from interviews that were done with Andrea once she was arrested. Okay. So we have very complete information about how everything happened. Yeah. So she started with Luke because he was the youngest boy and he came in and said, Mommy, why is the bath water drawn? Are we taking a bath? And she said, yes. She put him in face down and held him down until he stopped moving. Then she took him out into the master bedroom and tucked him into bed. Oh, my God. She then called John, who was five years old. He was the rambunctious one. Mm. He was the, the one that just seemed to have the most energy and all of that. And so she called him next and did the same. She held him down. She said he struggled a lot. Yeah. And she just kept holding him down. Hmm. And then she also went and tucked him into bed. She then called in Paul, who was three years old. They called him Perfect Paul. He was the sweet, mild-mannered one. And she did the same to him. The whole time that she was in the bathroom, little Mary, six months old, was sitting on the floor. Oh, my God. She then took Mary and did the same to her, held her down. She then called her oldest child, which was Noah, seven. None of the kids knew what was happening up. Right. I can't remember if it was upstairs or or wherever. You know, they're all just watching cartoons. Right. Mommy calls. They go in. Noah comes in and Mary's still in the bathtub. So he he wasn't even called in? No, she called him in. She just hadn't. She had a limited amount of time. She knew that Rusty's mom was on the way. So maybe she just felt like she was running out of time. She called Noah and Noah said, what's wrong with Mary? And she said, get in the bathtub. Noah got in the bathtub and she drowned him as well. He was the hardest. He's the oldest. He fought the most. He just got in. My eight-year-old refuses. 
we'll, when we'll I tell go her. Into, yeah, we'll go into this family. Okay. Um, I'm like, I di- can't that's see why my I daughter said, just getting in the there's bathtub. There's very odd family dynamics here. So yeah, it's hard to understand how to tell this story best because there's so many facets right. to it. But I just want to get through the, the logistics here and then we'll go into all the background. Okay. Noah was drowned. And then at that point, Andrea took the baby Mary and went and tucked her into bed with the three brothers. But for whatever reason, she left Noah in the bathtub. In the bathtub? Mm -mm. At that time, she went into the kitchen and she called 911. And I have the transcript from the 911 call. So the 911 answered and said, you know, what's your name? She said, Andrea Yates. They said, what's the problem? And she said, um, I just need them to come. And they said, is your husband there? Because they just assumed domestic violence. Oh, okay. And she said, no. And the 911 operator said, what's the problem? And Andrea said, I just need them to come. And then the 911 operator was like, I need to know why we're coming, ma'am. Is your husband there standing next to you? And Andrea said, no. And then the 911 operator was like, are you having a disturbance? Are you ill? What's going on? And Andrea said, yes, I'm ill. And then the operator was like, do you need an ambulance? And Andrea said, no, I need a police officer. And yeah, send an ambulance. So that was the whole 911 call. They hung up. Clearly something's up. But the 911 operator sent the police. Yeah. Andrea then picked up the phone and called her husband, Rusty. He was at work. And all she said was, Rusty, you need to come home. And he could tell something was wrong. He knew his wife was depressed. He said, is my mom there? And she said, no. And so then right away, he's concerned. And he said, are you okay?" And she said, I'm fine. And he said, how are the children? Are they okay? And she said, no. Oh, no. no. He asked if the children were hurt. And she said, yes. He asked which child is hurt. And she said, all of them. Oh, my God. And so he hung up and rushed out, obviously. Can you imagine getting a call like that? Oh, my God. And we'll go into this isn't the first time he's gotten a call like this from her. But it usually wasn't the kids. It was usually something wrong with her because she's depressed. So he rushed home. By the time he got to the family home, the police had arrived. When the police arrived, Andrea opened the front door. And as soon as the police officer asked what was wrong, the only thing she said was, I killed my kids. She then led them upstairs. So it was a two-story home. Right. She led the police officer upstairs and he saw the kids laying in the bed and he saw little Noah still in the bathtub. (sighs) And he describes like all of the police officers that responded to this, like they said it was the most traumatic thing they had ever experienced in their life. And they didn't even know what to do because you have a woman who said, I just killed my kids and she's just standing. She's just standing there. She's not being violent or trying to run away. And she wants to be arrested. Yeah. And so they questioned her. They sat her down on the couch. They locked off the house and they started to talk to Andrea. At that time, Rusty and his mom both showed up at this point. They would not let them in the house. Oh, my God. But they did tell them what happened. And as you can imagine, they were just to not even get to run in and hold your babies. Yeah. They wouldn't let them in. They wouldn't let them talk to Andrea. There was talk of Rusty being in the backyard just 
beside himself and knocking on the windows and just yelling at Andrea, how could you do this? And seeing her and she was just completely unresponsive. She was just sitting there and she just sat there in a very monotone way and recounted exactly what I told you, how she killed each child one by one. And she was ready to be arrested and taken away. Wow. 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 When they finally asked Andrea as they were interviewing her and asking all the questions, the one thing they wanted to know was, why did you do this? That's the number one question. Yes. Always. Finally, she answered and she said, I'm a bad mother. And that's all she would say. And we'll go into more about what happened. But right now, I want to take us back and talk more about Andrea and Rusty and how they came to be together and have these five children to begin with. Five is a lot, you know? One is a lot. I can't imagine having five. (laughs) No. How'd you do it, Mom? Seriously. What the hell? She had six, right? Yeah. Oh, my gosh. My grandma had eight. My brother has five. My sister has six. I have two. I was like, I feel bad. My daughter's always wanted a brother or sister, but... You know, you got to know your limits at the same time, you know, know so your let's, limits. let's talk about that. Yeah. How did this woman who has a history, obviously, with postpartum depression, keep having kids? Was it really you're probably going to go into it? Yeah. But was it a religious thing that she wasn't allowed to be on birth control or something like that? Yeah, we're going to go into uh, see you guys see what happens. This is where this is I get very angry. So let's go. Let's uh. talk about it. So Andrea Yates as a little girl. She grew up in the Houston area. Her family background was middle American, middle class. Her father was a auto shop teacher and her mother, Julie, was a homemaker. So her mother stayed home with the kids. She was the youngest of five children herself. Oh, wow. Okay. She always felt pressure to be a high achiever and she rose to the occasion. In high school, she was the captain of the swim team. She was a National Honor Society member, and she actually was valedictorian of her 1982 graduating class. Wow, that's class. actually very impressive for the youngest. Yes. Because if you look at psychology, for the most part, when it comes to like siblings and that large, for the youngest to be the yeah the, the successful right. one, that's actually... It's usually the oldest, right? That feels that pressure almost. It, I think it depends on gender, too. Yes. But that was impressive. She does speak later and and say that she felt like she had a lot of pressure from her parents. Uh, Her parents seemed to be, it seemed to be a happy home. They were Catholic, so very strict, religious, Catholic Mm. upbringing. And so that's where I'm surprised because usually what happens is by the time they get, you get to the last kid, all the other ones ruined it for you. Yes. (laughs) Because they're the ones that got in trouble. They're the ones that got in car accidents. They're the ones that did all this. And so by the time you get to the last kid, they're like, you can't have this. You can't have this. You can't have this. You can't have this because we had all this experience. So Andrea, I did see a couple of interviews. Uh, One of the main one was with her swim teacher and her swim teacher said that Andrea was a likable girl. She was very quiet Mm. and studious, but she had a group of friends she you know wasn't like an odd ball or anything like that she didn't have any problems she was a great student she you know didn't talk a lot in classes she just kind of put her head down and worked but when it came to like swimming she was very good at it and the swim team actually got to elect or vote for their captain and they chose her oh wow so she that was well like she was valedictorian so when this happened the teachers who knew her and I actually meant to say her name was Andrea Kennedy before she got married. Oh, okay. So it was Andrea Andrea Pia Kennedy was her name. So when they saw on the news that 
this was the woman who was accused of killing their five oh children. God, they once imagine. again they couldn't believe it because she was just this quiet, sweet girl that yeah. never gave anyone any problems and and just succeeded in life at school. Well, it sounds like the pressure was on her from the a young age. She never yeah. had a fucking break. It already Maybe. sounds like that. So upon graduating from high school, she completed a two-year pre-nursing program at the University of Houston, and then she went on to the University of Texas School of Nursing and graduated in 1986 to become a registered nurse. And then she worked from 1986 to 1994 at the very well-known MD Anderson Cancer Center in Houston wow. as an oncology nurse. Yeah. And she, she was, was a great doing, nurse. Yeah, she was doing the damn thing. She was doing really good and very successful in her career. She was living in an apartment complex right near MD Anderson, and that is where she met Rusty. A little bit about Rusty. Is he Rusty? Rusty. <laughs> <laughs> he grew up in Tennessee area. He was kind of described as being a popular jock in high school. Okay. But he was also very smart. He was a uh, summa cum laude. Well, yeah, he works for NASA. Yeah, right. He was okay. a summa, summa cum laude graduate of Auburn University, which I believe is in Alabama, maybe. No idea. Anyways, I think Auburn's like a really good university. He did very well and he got a job with NASA to design computer systems. And that's what brought him to Houston. Well, they're quite the pair then in that way. Very smart. Yeah. They were both described as well. Andrea was described as being very quiet, but also like when she had friends, she was very sociable. She and sounds funny like me a little bit. Yeah. She's just one of those introverted people that you had to get to know. But Everyone who describes her always says she's just the sweetest thing. Yeah, you thing. just got to get to know. People always judge me in that way because I'm kind of quiet. Yeah. But if if I get to know you, then I'm probably too much. Then I won't <laughs> shut up. I've been you told know. people thought I was kind of stuck up in a way. Yeah, they always say you're stuck I've up. I've been told Smile, I was stuck do up. this, yes. bitch face. And I'm like, you know, I just feel like I'm a, an extremely real person. Me too. And my emotions will match what I'm feeling or you know, the people I'm around and whatnot. Yeah. And it's just that simple. Yeah. Like I'm not bubbly to be bubbly. No, I'm not fake. I'm not fake I'm whatsoever. I'm not going to smile if I don't feel like smiling. I don't. Don't fucking tell me to but smile. But I'm really fucking funny sometimes, all right? Right. My family thinks so anyway. <laughs> so apparently Rusty was that guy too. He was an engineer, which is kind of introverted, but he had a dry sense of humor. And so here's how they met. They were both living in the same apartment complex. Rusty went to the pool and he saw a oh. woman laying and floating in a pool and she was in a bikini and she had long, dark hair. And he just oh, thought so she is me. <laughs> <laughs> he thought she was just the most beautiful thing he'd ever seen. Oh, and he was sweet. nervous. Yeah. He was like, this is a beautiful girl. She looks like my age. I want to say something. Oh. And so he did say something to her once he worked up the courage. And he just went, said, I'm oh, sorry, so I was sleeping. <laughs> She's like, why'd you wake me up? And I, so I guess they had just a small interaction. They were both 25 at the time. So they were both well out of college and and wow. working their careers. Yeah. And then Rusty went out with his friends a couple of weeks later. He went out. He got, you know, a bunch Trashed. of beers, got really trashed. And he yeah. said actually that night he realized or I guess the next morning he was so hungover and he hated just how he felt. And he oh, said, I'm not going to drink alcohol anymore. Gotcha. 
And that morning he was just at home. Rusty gets a knock on the door and he opens it and it's the beautiful girl from the pool. So he's excited. And she said, I need hey, a cup of tea. <laughs> some sugar. She said, somebody bumped into my car and I was wondering, because they lived right in the same building, she said, someone bumped into my car and I'm just trying to figure out who did. They started talking. One thing led to another and they started dating. So they were both 25 at the time. And this was a bold move for Andrea, actually, to knock on somebody's door because she was the introvert. And it does come to find out she did know that's where Rusty lived oh. and she was going specifically to talk she was to interested. him. She was okay. interested. Andrea didn't really have much of a dating history. She did not date. And this came up when the swim teacher was talking about her. She never really had romantic interest. Turns out she didn't have her first boyfriend until she was 23 years old. Mm. And she was recovering from a romantic breakup when she came to talk to Rusty. So she had actually been out at dinner alone that night realized that she might be ready to talk to someone. She's like, there was this cute boy at the pool that wanted to talk to me. And so she shot her shot. Yeah. So Andrea and Rusty spent the next few years dating. They actually moved in together. She discovered that Rusty was very religious. Okay. So now I'm understanding too. She she had all these babies quite later than normal if you're going to have five children. Because <laughs> what is she, this is like, she's going to be what, 28, 29, 30? And mm-hmm. then having five children? So she's 25 now. But then they dated they for a few years. So they hadn't had kids yet. Yes. So, and wow. so yeah. some of the books I read talked about how it really bothered Andrea that she was living with Rusty before they were married. Mm. It was also described Rusty in certain interviews has said she was quite prudish. She would never undress in front of him. Like she had some Catholic guilt going on, I think. around sex before marriage and I don't know what exactly was going on there maybe she was just really shy but she did not have any real experience romantically sexually and it sounds like they dated for three years and lived together without having sex she would never say and I don't think Rusty ever said I'm I'm assuming she has to be an amazing woman for him to that's like an expected thing and it's really frustrating but I don't know but he was very religious as well he was raised Methodist he had however come across a man named Michael Waranecki. And we're going to talk more about the Waraneckis because they have a very interesting take on religion. He ran into Michael Waranecki on the university sidewalks, whatever, when he was at Auburn. And Michael Waranecki was one of these you-don't-need-church kind of guys. He said basically organized religion was of Satan and that if you really wanted to follow Jesus and be saved... And go to heaven, you needed to follow him. Right. <laughs> and, and he actually taught, he actually went to college campuses and told people that they were all going to burn in hell. And he would do oh sandwich goodness. boards that said, You are going to hell. Oh, he's one of those. And he said, If you're trying to get a college degree, that you're going against God's wishes because you should just be out preaching the word and not trying to get indoctrinated. And we'll talk more about his philosophy, but. I want to bring him up because Michael Warnecke was a big influence on Rusty Yates. And when he met Andrea and they started dating, before he would get engaged to Andrea, the first person he wanted approval from 
was Michael Warnecki. Ooh, that's scary. Yeah. That's so, creepy scary. I don't like it. So he took her to meet Michael and his wife, Rachel, and they approved her. And then on April 17th of 1993, they were married in a small, simple ceremony. The couple announced to wedding guests that they would not use birth control. Why would you announce that to wedding guests? What the <laughs> fuck? <laughs> they said they wanted as many children as nature would provide. Did and she or did he? That was going to be a really good question okay their desire for children was immediately fulfilled within three months of being married andrea was pregnant so i think that they probably were not having sex before marriage because they didn't believe in birth control i think they were both very religious because as soon as they got married she was pregnant three months later so andrea yates had been working as i said and was a very adept nurse at md anderson as soon as she gave birth to their first child noah in 1994 she quit her job Hmm. and she would stay home with the children. Rusty would keep working. He would be the provider. But see, Rusty held some very traditional beliefs. He learned these from Warnecke because let me go back to Michael and Rachel Warnecke. They had five children and she did not work. He didn't really work either. They just ran around and told everybody they were going to hell. But that's another story. What was the state of their house? (laughs) They lived in a bus. Oh, okay. And they had five children. That's okay, by the way. I don't care if you live in a bus. No. I know if, several if it's people your who have the, lived the bus life. Well, we're going to talk about was it really her choice. So Warren yeah. Eke preached that a wife should be in the home caring for the children and that all children should be homeschooled to keep them away from temptations and unsavory influences of the world. That's how you create serial killers, by the way. <laughs> so Rusty already had this idea before he met Andrea because he had already been studying with Michael Warnecke. So oh, he already knew him. He was looking for a woman that would fit into his idea. Gross. In my mind. I think Rusty has a lot to play with this. I'm probably yeah. going to have a different view than maybe other podcasts have said about I him. I think we've already done that a bunch of times. <laughs> I won't say that Rusty was physically abusive or anything like that, but I do think there was some emotional manipulation going on here. Yeah. And at the very least, he was neglectful because we're going to see his wife deteriorate and he's mm. not going to really help her. Okay. So he was also very strict with the finances because he worked. He made around $80,000 a year. As in 1994? A, so that was good money. That's good money. They owned a house in Clear Lake. He had purchased it. He provided very well. And they had the one child and they were very happy. She liked being a stay-at-home mom. However, in an interview that I saw with one of her nursing friends, she did mention wanting to go back to work at some point. And her friend said I went back to work you know part-time you could do that and she said that Andrea seemed really interested and had like that light in her eyes like yes I want to go back to work so I'm a person thank you but then she said she talked to her a week later and she's like no my place is in the home so there I think there was some some manipulation going on there yeah so back to the budgeting he actually would take cash out of the account and he had like one of those accordion file and each tab would have like groceries Kids' clothes, mm. Rusty's golf. Oh, he gets golf. Does she have her own spending budget? I don't think so. You didn't find the a picture of all the tabs? <laughs> no. <laughs> and he would put cash in each thing. So when she needed things, that's how she got money. So he was completely in control of their finances. This triggers me so much on things. So something that really triggered me about Rusty, Andrea was a beautiful girl. She had a great figure. Like That's what attracted him to her when he saw her in the bikini she was tall, slim. She was like 5'7 and oh. had a great body, right? Because okay, she's we all do. And 25, <laughs> at 25, I'm you mediocre, have a I'm mediocre, remember? 
Rusty liked to buy her exercise equipment and encourage her to stay in shape. And he had made comments to her about making sure she always fit into the same pair of jeans. Oh, my God. You ba- When you have a baby, your, your body doesn't work like that anymore. And I'm not talking even about fat. Shit moves, you know? Yeah, your organs rearrange. What the fuck? So I bring that up because I think that was another unneeded pressure that was put on her uh, was to, yeah. to keep a beautiful figure and as with well. five children. Are you fucking kidding me? I mean, she's only had yes, one This is one so of those far, episodes where I say fuck more than I want to. But are you? Wow. Yeah. I feel like in a lot of ways, Rusty got off easy. And that's why I'm bringing it up because I just saw too many things. And I've been in an emotionally abusive relationship. Yeah, and I know how that stuff weighs on you. Yeah. And this was a very quiet woman who would never Uh, push back or say anything. She just internalized all of this. She never got to rise above it. Yeah. And she had too many responsibilities, you know? Yeah. Andrea became pregnant a second time in 1995. This was with their second oldest, John. She had been swimming and jogging. With only one child, she had still been like meeting up with friends. And Rusty was kind enough to give her one day that was considered her mom's day out. Oh, you know, I I don't get that. Yeah. So, (laughs) I mean, I think he was... He's in the trying. beginning, he was trying. Yeah. Uh, it was said that he was a good father. I'm not going to like, you know, completely say yeah. he was horrible. He would come home now that she had the second child. He would come home and take care of Noah while she was, you know, breastfeeding John. And then they would all go on walks together at night. And everyone said they seemed like a perfect little family. There were four of them at this point. She was still very happy. She was a stay at home mom. She was taking care of the two boys. However, in 1996, right after John Well, I guess John was a year old. Rusty was offered a job to work for six months in Florida for a special project for NASA. He was going to leave her? So Rusty had this idea, and I think it came from the Warneckies because they lived in a bus. Oh, no. Rusty wanted to live on the road. He wanted to live a simple life. And so at that time, he purchased a 38-foot travel trailer, and they began to lease out their four bedroom house. And so he was going to drive the 38 foot trailer and take his wife and two kids down to Florida with him. And it was going to be an adventure to simplify their life. They were getting a place in Florida though. No. Or staying on that? No, the trailer would become their home. Dude, that's something you have to be committed to. If that's not in your mindset, that's and That's I don't think Andrea probably signed up for this. No. You know, she thought she was marrying a NASA engineer and was going to live yeah, in this nice house. Yeah, and she was a nurse house. and she, you know, she had her own yeah. goals. You don't just throw those away and live in a bus. <laughs> so he did that. They sold all of their furnishings. They sold oh. all their house goods. The only thing that he allowed them to keep was the exercise equipment he purchased and his Where? tools. Where does that go? Is it just one of those little, they, I have one, you roll it on the floor for your abs? They no well they put it into a <laughs> no <laughs> they put it into a small storage unit but they sold everything else and they got into this what travel the, trailer but he hell? wanted to make sure that exercise equipment was there oh my god got a yeah, house that's important got to make that's sure real she's important. looking hot you know what you can do is walk it was during the nineties so like oh, there's all those freaking fad things going on back then and all the do machines you remember thigh what was it thigh master <laughs> I, I have one you know what I use it for what. Just so that my legs don't fall off while I'm working. <laughs> Sometimes it sucks. So it'll keep them awake. Working at a computer. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I wouldn't mind getting one of the little stair stepper things. I have that little ab rolling thing. That's shit still so hard. That hurts. <laughs> I have no core strength at all. Anyway, go back to what you were saying. <laughs> so they're in a travel trailer and okay. they leased out their house and they moved into a place called the Lazy Days. 
and it was managed by a woman named Belinda Green, and she was interviewed after the children were killed, and she had some really interesting perspective that I wanted to share. Sorry, was it like a trailer park or like something? Like an RV park okay. kind of place. You pay for a lot. Yeah. Okay. And so he pulled in, and Belinda Green said that when they first moved in, she thought they were like the perfect little family. And she said Rusty would stop in her office all the time and just ask for advice because he'd never lived in a trailer park before. Right. And she said that she thought he was a really sweet man. And Andrea would come over and talk to her. And she had four kids of her own. Belinda did. And then Andrea had her two boys and the kids would all, you know, hang out. Okay. Doesn't sound too bad. No. She said that they stayed there for about a month. And this was in Texas, right outside of Houston. So they had rented out their house and then they were living here for a month until they would go to Florida. So she got to know them. She said Andrea was a wonderful mother. She said that she stayed at home all day in the trailer with the kids while Rusty went to work. So she would be carting her two little boys around in the wagon while she went and did laundry at the laundromat. She would take them swimming. And they said she always had like a little video camera and she would just take fun little videos of her kids. And she just seemed like a happy, loving mom. And the boys adored her. Yeah. And Belinda said the boys were the sweetest boys ever. They would like pick flowers and bring them to Belinda. And... Mm. They were obsessed with butterflies and Yay. she just said they were a sweet little family. They yeah. stayed there about a month and then they went off to Florida. I'm trying to think if that's a big change or not. Or where were they going in Florida? So they were headed to Clearwater, Florida. So I went from Clear Lake to Clearwater. <laughs> they like Clear, Clear Lake, <laughs> Texas to Clearwater, Florida. I Yeah, they did. They like clean water. So right after Andrea moved into the trailer, let's go back to the Warreneckies. So they were still talking with the Warrenekis quite often. They had become like close friends. And the Warrenekis, once again, they taught that the way to heaven was not through organized religion. So they didn't go to church. But Michael and Rachel, they did their prophesizing through letters. And people would send them money for these letters. So they would make money that way. And come to find out, Andrea was sending them money. And we have a lot of those letters. And it would always be like Rachel writing and saying, oh, our AC went out or, you know, some other something had happened to their bus. And it was always like a in a way, the when I was reading it, it's like they were making pleas for money. And Andrea was susceptible to that. Prophesizing. God is great. No, it was never God is great. It was you're going to hell. Oh, you're going to hell and my AC is broken. Give me money. Yes. The Warnackies are a whole story on their own. They sound like they need a special on Netflix. But they they should have one. They don't get any of the money. Are they alive? Yes. Michael Warnacki now does EDM Christian music. So that's real fun. Anyways. Special. So Andrea was writing to Rachel Warnecki and saying that she felt lonely. She was living in a trailer with two children. Her only real friends were gone. She talked to Belinda and there was one other older lady that she talked to, but she was alone just sitting at home with two kids. And she wrote to Rachel Warnecki and said, I feel loneliness. What do I need to do? And Rachel said, you only feel loneliness because you're being tempted by Satan and you need to double down. Oh my you're, God. you're evil. Women are evil. Fuck everyone. Women, <gasps> we are we are the daughters of Eve and therefore we are evil. And you just need to pray more and keep watching after your children and doing what women are supposed to do. So that was Rachel's like encouraging letter. And then, of course, at the end, she's like, oh, by the way, send some money. Get over it. Exactly. Stop being an evil woman for even questioning your You feel lonely because, yes, you're evil. 
Kendra just flipped off the mic. I don't know why she's yelling at herself. But <laughs> I just, the Waranakis, th- those kind of people. I swear. Just, what? 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 They arrived in Florida, Clearwater, and Andrea was pregnant with her third child. Mm. But unfortunately, she started to have the cramping and it ended up in a miscarriage. Okay. They stayed in Florida for around six months. And by the time they returned back to Texas in their travel trailer back to Lazy Days, Belinda said they pulled up and Andrea was pregnant again about three months. Wow. So she miscarried and got pregnant right away. Just an oven. (laughs) My goodness. So more about what Belinda had to say about Rusty and Andrea. She said, while they seem like a very happy family, she never saw Rusty or Andrea be very affectionate with with each other. And this comes up in several other interviews with people. They didn't like hold hands. They didn't say, I love you. They didn't call each other like, hey, babe, honey, any of that. It was just Rusty and Andrea and she said even with the kids, they weren't real. They weren't just like a real touchy feely kind of family. She also mentioned that Andrea was so sweet and patient with the children and that Rusty had a much more firm and strict mm-hmm. style with the kids. She also said that she felt like Rusty pressured Andrea to be a perfect mom. She gave birth to Paul, which they called Perfect Paul. He was like right. the sweet little baby. And Belinda said that he was the sweet little baby and Andrea would come over and she would hold Paul while the other kids would all play and things seemed great. So at this point they'd been living in their travel trailer in the lazy days, RV camp or whatever for about two years. And Belinda really enjoyed the family, but in 1998, so they have three children. Now they have Noah, John and Paul. They decided to take the travel trailer and go visit their friends, the Warren in Miami, Florida creepy. So the Waranekis, they talk about this visit. Each of them have a different perspective on it, but it sounds like they had some kind of falling out while they were there. Michael said that he told Rusty that he needed to basically quit his job and stay home and love Andrea more and that he was too focused on worldly things and that it wasn't serving his family well. How are they going to make money? There there wasn't any OnlyFans back then. (laughs) (laughs) Just kidding. Rusty's going to do OnlyFans? Um, No, Andrea's hands. (laughs) And feet. It was just kind of this weird thing. So Rusty kind of had a falling out with the Warneckies, but Andrea would still keep writing to them and send them money. And she was still very enthralled with the Warneckies. So mm, she got sucked in. Yes, she did. Especially because once again, she had no real friends. She she felt like Rachel was her friend. She had to pay for a friend to tell her to go to hell. So they stayed there for a couple of months and then they came back to the Lazy Days RV park and Belinda said they pulled up again and Andrea was pregnant again. My gosh. And Belinda just joked and she said, every time you leave and come back, you're pregnant. And so she was pregnant with her fourth. So Belinda said after the return from Florida, she said things just seemed different. She said when the Yates boys would come out to play with her children, as they always had, Rusty would come out and he would seem really agitated and tell the Yates boys they need to get in the house. Because you have four children in a bus. I don't know. (laughs) Well, they're in a travel trailer right now. You keep saying travel trailer. I don't know what that is. It's like uh, what you would go camping in, like a big RV that has a kitchen. That's and still a lot. That's six people in there. Yeah. Constantly. That's tight. Yeah. You know? Well, she hasn't. There's only five in there right now, and she's pregnant with the fourth yeah. at the moment. But yes, it would still be tight for two people. Right. Let's be honest. <laughs> That's something that you... You stay you in do, for the weekend. Exactly. Like, you 
bear with it over the weekend and you have fun and it's an experience, but constantly, yeah, that's rough. And she was never leaving the trailer. And she was never leaving. And she's pregnant. And, and she's pregnant with kids, the fourth one And now. he seems irritated and yeah. So while they were visiting the Waraneckis, they found out that the Waraneckis had a bus. It was a Greyhound bus that they had converted into their home that they traveled the entire country with their five kids preaching their, you know, fire and brimstone. You're all going to hell. Everyone's a sinner. That kind of, you know, really uplifting message in all the colleges. So they wanted to sell that bus. It was, I believe I read somewhere it was like $38,000. Rusty, I guess this was before he... I lost his luster for Warnecke, decided they should buy the bus. So scary to know that parents get to just turn their children into things. Yeah. (laughs) The moment you said that, like, with their children and this and this, I'm like, poor kids, you know? It's all based on our parents. So in 1998, Rusty went to pick up the bus and he brought it back to the Lazy Days. And so they rented an extra lot. They were still living in the travel trailer and he started renovating the bus that they bought from the Waraneckis to be whatever they wanted it to be. I mean, at this point, what is he making? Like 130K? Probably later. He's making good money. He's making really good money. And they're living in a 38 foot travel trailer and they're about to move into a bus, which is probably even worse in my mind. I mean, it's not going to have all of the same amenities that you have in an actual made trailer. Exactly. But they were so enthralled. I say they, but I really think it was more rusty. He had this idea that he was going to once again quit his job and they were going to travel the world. So while he was renovating the bus, I mentioned that Andrea was pregnant again. So in 1999, February 15th, Luke was born. And at this point, they moved into the bus. And they sold their other travel trailer. Belinda said this is when she really saw Andrea decline. She -hmm. said Andrea seemed like she was always exhausted. She never talked to anybody anymore. She wasn't outside videotaping the kids. She was just like a shrinking flower. She looked like she had lost a lot of weight. She just looked run ragged. Yeah. She also mentioned that it seemed like when they just had the two kids, Rusty was really engaged and like a great dad. And then as they had more kids, he seemed more removed. Mm. And Andrea was sitting in a bus now with four kids all day while her husband is gone. I would lose my fucking mind. Are you kidding me? Wow. So let me tell you more about this bus. It was 350 square feet. Was there a bathroom? I don't know. I think there was. And I don't know how the kitchen was or anything like that. Yeah. But there was a luggage compartment because, you know, when you're on a Greyhound bus. Right. Underneath. So the Waraneckis had cut a door into the floor of the bus. that's where the kids sleep? Exactly. Oh, my gosh. Like in drawers. And Belinda said she went on the bus one time. In Houston? I know. Hot. How did they not suffocate? So Belinda went on and she was like, that's where the kids sleep. And she said she was like kind of horrified yeah. and didn't even want to ask. She was like, did oh they close the door behind the kids? So three of the boys would sleep down in the compartment. And then Rusty, Andrea and the baby, Luke, would sleep upstairs or whatever of the bus. So that oh was my their life. Wow. This is a man making very good money. Yeah, He still owns a house. But they're living in a renting, so he's making even more money. And wow, during all this time, Andrea is still talking to Rachel Warnecke, and their whole philosophy is a woman's place is in the home. Kids cannot go to school; they cannot be influenced by anybody outside. So the mom is fully responsible for the child's salvation. 
they're all going to go to hell if mother cannot teach them to be righteous. So this is the kind of things that oh, is being thrown at Andrea. God. She's living in a fucking bus and Rusty's going to work every day. And the kids are literally stowaways in, in the luggage compartment in, in Texas. Wow. Yeah. I'm sorry, but that's child abuse. Could be. I really don't understand how something didn't come of that because that's that's literally how people die. I guess it was air conditioned. I don't know. They don't talk more about it. But to me, it's pretty horrific. That's horrific. About. This wasn't just a normal suburban mom who lost her mind. This isn't some intense shit. That's why I said like yeah. none of this was out My there. I didn't God. know any of this until I started wow. looking at this case. So yeah, you can't judge a book by its cover. No. You know, they always say that. You can't just say this woman drowned her five kids. She's a horrible monster. You start looking at this and it's oh like, gosh. there's a lot to it. I want to talk more about her mental illness. After she was arrested, she really had never talked about anything before, but then she was put into psychiatric care after she killed all five of her children. She finally got the help she needed and the medicines, and she was able to coherently speak through everything in her life. Mm-hmm. And so we have all these interviews that kind of gave a glimpse into what was going on in Andrea's head. So she told them that her postpartum difficulties actually started with her first pregnancy right after Noah was born. She didn't have any background in depression or any of this before. Right. So this is postpartum. And we right. know this happens to a lot of women. Yep. Hormones go crazy. Yep. They take that big dip. And she had never experienced it before. She said in 1994, she experienced hallucinations of a knife and her stabbing someone. Mm. She said she dismissed the image. She never told Rusty about it. Like a lot of women who are depressed after postpartum, they almost feel ashamed or embarrassed to be having these kind of thoughts. Some women have thoughts of hurting their children and it's embarrassing and it makes them feel like a bad mom. That's why she said, I'm a bad mother. Yeah. Now, I want to mention something else that has been going on while Andrea is taking care right now of these four children on a bus. Her dad, who she loved very much, and her parents lived in Houston. Her dad had Alzheimer's. Oh, no. And so she was also going over and helping her mom care for her father this whole time. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's just a huge other layer of responsibility and stress. Yeah. Yeah. And so I just wanted to bring that up. Wow. It was overwhelming to be taking care of four kids and helping nurse her father. Yes. And at the same time all of this was going on, she said she just felt isolated from everyone. Because she was? Yes. So I want to talk about, like I've said before, like nobody's ever really looked at Rusty's role in this and the fact that she was alone and they had this religious obsession around the mom being like the responsible one and that was her place. He subscribed to that. He seemed in a lot of ways domineering not in like a very like abrupt observable way but we don't know what was going on behind closed doors but it was very clear like I said before he had this idea of what his family would look like and he found her she was quiet she was a people pleaser and he just kind of fit her in to like his idea stuffed his kids and luggage containers It was never known to what extent Andrea's pregnancies were based on a mutual decision with Rusty to have Mm -hmm. those children or if it was a product of him wanting a large family. I mean, just from what I'm hearing, it sounds like they probably were the type where it was scheduled sex sessions. Yes. Monday at 8 p.m. Yeah, because he some of the interviews I've seen with him make me so mad because he kind of complains about her being a prude and like not sexually adventurous. And I'm like, fuck you, dude. The fuck would she be? 
Right. Are you kidding me? First of all, you have no privacy. You're in a bus. You're in a <laughs> bus. And you've just taken care of kids all day. You're and not in sexy mood. Poor little me. All I can think of is the stupid heat and humidity this entire time <laughs> in Florida or Texas. It and had to have an AC. I don't care. It doesn't work. You're still yeah. sticky. And then for children, no escape. She has no escape. She has nothing to go do to help herself. And this was a very She's drowning. This was a very smart woman. She's valedictorian. She went to nursing. She was one of an oncology her nurse I, is one of the top RNs. Yes. Like, this you, wasn't a her identity is yeah. just fucking smashed. She has no identity. Where is it now? Nothing. Yeah. She's a walking zombie. So a number of people, including Andrea's mother, which we're going to hear from in a little bit, and then her close friend from nursing school, Debbie Holmes, both suggested that Rusty was a domineering force in the Yates family, and he was the one that decided when to have babies. So then they must have not had sex. Otherwise, it was always transactional. I don't because know. Because they didn't do birth control. That is the one thing. Or he just pulled out all the time or something. It's the one thing Andrea will not talk about is their sex life. She seems, yeah. even to this day, very ashamed about that. And she doesn't talk about oh, it. So I hope he wasn't abusive during it or something. No, I think there's a lot going on that we will never know because Ugh. he's not going to tell us. And she's not in a state to ever really tell yeah. us. So on June 16th, 1999, this was after she had Luke. So she'd had the fourth child. Andrea called Rusty at work and she was sobbing and she was hysterical. He returned to find her in the bus and she was shaking uncontrollably and just biting at her fingers. He could not calm her down. His suggestion was that they would go for a walk on Galveston Beach. He didn't know what else to do with her. So he just drove her down with the kids and said, let's go for a walk on Galveston Beach. That didn't care anything. And so then when he realized she was still in this like catatonic state, state, he took her to her parents' house. Here's your here's your daughter. I broke her. Basically. Do something with it. Her mom has some really choice things to say about Rusty, Ugh. as any mom would seeing their daughter go through this. Right. The hard part is when you have an adult daughter like that, you can't tell them. It's always a sensitive place because you want to make sure that you have a relationship with your grown children. Yeah. And if you're too opinionated about their partner or whatnot, then they're not going to talk to you. So yeah. it's a very fine line that you are always crossing. And I, it's very sad because a lot of the times these people do need help. You know, yes. when we're, when people bring up their concerns and their issues, it's because there is some big red flags there. And there were and, here. And I've been a part of those situations. And why too. do men isolate these women? They always because do that it's because they don't want these they women want having anyone to talk to. They want complete control yes. of them. They are an accessory to do their home life shit for them. And when they say it's religion, that's just a whole nother. It, fucked that's up just layer. another excuse because they're the truth is. In their foundation, they're fucking controlling assholes who want everything their way. And then they use religion, quote unquote, teachings to say, no, but this is how it's supposed to be. Yep. I'm just doing the Lord's work. Yep. And and women are here to just have your babies and be your domestic servant. No. I'm probably simplifying it. I hope that Andrea was happy at points in her marriage, but I think in the beginning Before, he was sweet. Before, especially the switching to the bus. Yes. Going from a home to a bus, especially if it's not something she wanted, because I've been in relationships where it's like, oh, I just want to go away and yeah. live the simple life. And I'm like, so do I, but I'm not ready for that. So I would feel secluded. I would go yes. crazy. I would not be okay because I don't have a support system with just 
you. You are not my right. only support system. I have a huge family. I have friends. Yes. There is more than just you. And right. I don't want to be secluded in the middle of nowhere with just you. Sorry. And that's what I feel like happened to Andrea. And that's what happened to her. Yep. She had zero support. She had no one outside helping and then her. Four children. And they were all babies. These are not, these are all yes. babies. At this point, the oldest one is like four, maybe. My goodness. Back to, she called Rusty. She's having a breakdown, essentially. And she's at her mom's house. Her dad has Alzheimer's and she finds his uh, sleeping pills oh, because they give Alzheimer's yeah. patients. She took 40. Oh my God. Of them. She tried. So she tried to kill herself. She tried. She was rushed by ambulance to a local Methodist hospital. She told the staff at the hospital that she had consumed the pills because she wanted to sleep forever. But then she felt guilty after she took them because she has children to live for. I remember wanting to sleep forever. Did you ever have those feelings of like, you know, if I fall real hard, yeah, that I get to go to the hospital and I get to sleep. <laughs> like when you're a mom yeah like a new mom yeah because you are exhausted exhausted I was praying for something to happen to me so that I could go sleep could have somewhere a break. and we had one child she has a newborn baby now right and she has three other children My and goodness. her husband's at work every imagine. fucking day and you're in this tiny little thing yeah she has nowhere to you go. have to entertain them all and teach them all the right things in life yeah. Oh my God. No, I can't. I can't even. Can't even imagine. I I know. I would never think that I would be on the side of a woman who killed her children. But when I read this story, I'm like, Andrea was crying out for help constantly, and nobody was helping this woman. Nobody was helping her, and she had a break. She had a break. I uh, these poor kids. It sounds like it's not like they had this perfect little life growing up either. It seems like it was a hard life. They didn't know anything different, right? But I'm sure that at times they were. Unco- I'm sure that they didn't want to sleep in a hot little container no so when she was in the hospital they of course brought a psychiatrist for the suicide attempt and when they asked her for her reason she kept deflecting and would not answer they knew she was still depressed uh but they couldn't keep her in the hospital for longer than the insurance would allow fuck insurance so she went home with a prescription for Zoloft and he took her back to her parents house at least he let her sleep in a real bed and she stayed at her parents house with her mom to rest for a while Mm. Andrea, once again, she had bought into the Waranekis philosophy. And part of their philosophy was that God provides everything. He takes care of the flowers. He takes care of the whatever that verse is from the Bible. Mm -hmm. Why should you worry? And they were very anti-medicine. And so Andrea didn't want to take her medicine. She didn't want to take the Zoloft. I mean, I get it. I don't take any medicine either, but it comes, it's not a spiritual reason. You weren't in a postpartum. Yeah. My goodness. So her condition kept worsening and she actually would stay in bed all day and she began to self mutilate. At Mm. one point she scratched four bald patches on her scalp. Okay. Can we just stop here? This lady, she needed to be somewhere else. You are okay going to work and leaving her in the care of five children when she is doing this yeah wow I am my mind's blown right now so Andrea continued to decline she actually got to the point where she refused to eat she would not feed her children or nurse her little baby Luke she said they were eating too much she was a bad mother they weren't eating the right thing she started having delusional thoughts they realized that she was slipping into postpartum psychosis which is where you have delusions and you think she was Digging at her head and scratching. We find out later because she thought she had the mark of the beast. Oh, probably from a fucking letter of that lady. At some point, she thought she was possessed by Satan. Like there was just there's so much. 
So it was really only at this moment when she attempted suicide that her family realized how bad things were. So her mother at this point was just like, oh my fucking God, like I, my daughter did not know my daughter was in this kind of state. I'm sure she was worried about her, but she didn't realize she was at this point. And she also had brothers and sisters. She was from a family of five. They were also coming and, you know, supporting her. And some of her brothers and sisters actually were in treatment for depression of their own. And it comes out that perhaps this was in her family. Mm. Now, here's the thing. Once you have either postpartum depression or even worse, postpartum psychosis, Mm -hmm. if you get pregnant again, there is a like 80% chance you're going to have it again and it's going to get worse. So she said her first thought was with Noah. Every child she was having, it was getting worse. And nobody saw it until she had the fourth child. But it wasn't just the kids. It was everything else, too. Exactly. Add that on top of it. My gosh, she was just a ticking time bomb. Right. So she experienced bizarre delusions and hallucinations. She started to believe that there were video cameras in the ceilings watching her in various rooms. There might have been. (laughs) I don't know. I don't know. Maybe not in the 90s. Nowadays. Could be. So after the suicide attempt with the sleeping pills, it was only a few weeks later and Rusty once again found her at her parents' house and she had locked herself into a bathroom and she had a knife to her throat and she was literally trying to find her carotid artery. And he busted in and he found her and he took her at this point to a psychiatric hospital. And this is where she finally, finally gets some relief. And she met a psychiatrist. Her name was Eileen Starbranch. And this woman knew what was going on. She was a expert in the postpartum field and she was able to start giving some help to Andrea. Good. So after this incident with the knife to her throat, Eileen Starbranch said she needs to be hospitalized. Yes. And she put her into Memorial Spring Shadows Glen, which was a private hospital for psychiatric care. When she first went in, she was in a completely catatonic state. Yeah. She would not talk to anyone. She would not eat. She was losing weight. And she was in this state for 10 days. So according to clinicians and experts, they say catatonia is an objective sign of a mental disorder, whether or not an individual reveals what he or she is thinking. So they knew that something was very, very wrong. This woman was very disturbed. She was still experiencing hallucinations and Starbranch tried many different medicines Starbranch actually said that Andrea was one of the sickest patients she had ever come across with postpartum psychosis. And it was very, very hard to get her out of the catatonic, psychotic state that she was in at this point. I mean, just her circumstances she are snapped. way different than just a normal postpartum. And I'm just even saying normal postpartum is a ridiculous yes. thing to say because this is a very intense thing that you go through anyway. But her life is insane. Of course, she's going to be this super extra case. I don't know, right. know how else to put it. This woman has been pushed at every point she could possibly pu- be pushed at. I, and now she has postpartum psychosis on top of it. Like she had a depression that kept getting worse with each child. I can even see her being so exhausted that she can't go through with suicide because it's tiring. Right. They did have one drug that they gave her and it's called Haldol. And it's probably one of the strongest antipsychotics out there. And the doctors don't like to put patients on this because it has so many side effects. Mm -hmm. And Star Branch was like, this is kind of our last resort. She also wanted to do electroshock therapy. 
Oh. Andrea did not want the electroshock. I don't think anybody would, but they were at the point where she was still in a catatonic state and that's some way that they can get people to come right. out of that state. However, the Hal doll did work. It brought oh. her out. And Rusty said, all of a sudden, it felt like she was her normal self again. Wow. And so they were giving her injections of Haldol and she was released from the hospital after about a two to three week stay. And she was returned to her family for treatment to come back. She would come back like every week or so and keep getting the Haldol injections, the antipsychotic. And then she was released with Wellbutrin, Zoloft, some antidepressant type medicine. But affects she's her. not allowed to take medicine. Because she's postpartum. Oh. oh, because of the Waranakis? Yeah. Well, yeah, we're about to talk about that. Okay. So she was sent home with these. Fortunately, the Haldol was an injection, so she couldn't refuse to take that. Right. But it was found out that she would flush the medicine down the toilet, so she never took the pills the that she ones. was ever sent mm-hmm. home with. But when she was in the hospital, she had to. Right. They, they watched on. her. Right. So when she came home, this is really sad. Andrea told Rusty that she had failed at their life in the bus. <laughs> So she felt like a failure. That's she felt like all of this had been given to her and she just wasn't a strong enough woman of God to make it work. So she was taking all of this guilt upon herself. Oh, my God. Now, when she came home from the hospital, her mm. mom told Rusty he better get her out of the fucking bus. Yeah. She basically said, you are putting my daughter in a house. She's yeah. not going back to that bus. And so he did that. Okay. He actually went and got them a three bedroom, two bath house in a residential neighborhood back kind of in the area they had been before in Clear Lake. So they Don't moved they into a house. they still own the other one? I'm sorry. I completely forgot. They sold that house to buy oh. the uh, bus. Oh, okay. For $38,000. So okay. he sold that house a while ago. I just no didn't think it was that important. But so yes. Okay, Kendra. So they're buying a different house. <laughs> <laughs> this house had a place for them to park the bus. So he didn't give up the bus. He just put it in the back of the house because that was still very important to him. And at one point he wanted probably to return to the bus right now Andrea got better all of a sudden she seemed like herself again she was swimming laps at the community pool she was baking she was sewing she was playing with her children and she was homeschooling them and at this time she met a woman that she would go in to get homeschooling books they it was a bookstore owner and her name was Terry Arnold And she said that Andrea would come in with the kids and they were great and the kids would sit on her lap and they Mm. would read stories. And she said Andrea was a very caring mother. She was very focused on making sure that she was bringing her children up in the Christian way. She would come in and say, I can only use, you know, Christian books. Right. So they were like kindred spirits. Okay. And she also brought up, of course, when she heard that Andrea had killed all five children, she was absolutely shocked Mm. because... Mm -hmm. She said the children were so well behaved and they all took care of each other because they're a large family. Like the older brother was taking care of the younger. And she said they would come in with the little baby girl, Mary, and all the brothers were so proud of their sister. And she just said they were a sweet, sweet family. And she only really interacted with Andrea. Sometimes that's a red flag for me. Yeah. When I see a child that is so behaved, especially multiple children of a family so behaved, I'm like, I don't trust the shit that's going on at your house because children with free will who have an identity for themselves, they're not that well behaved because they speak up and they're like, I don't want this and I don't want this. So when you're you have a family that's super well behaved, I don't trust you. What are you doing to those kids? Yeah. Sorry. That's my personal opinion. 
even if it's just indoctrination of, you know, children should be seen and not heard and those kinds of things that are put in there. It was said that Rusty, I don't know where this came out, but I remember hearing it in the book that they did believe in spanking their children because, you know, mm. spare the rod, Whatever. the you know, that verse that everybody uses that wants to spank their children. And also Belinda mentioning that Rusty was very strict with the children. So I'm sure they were also fed a lot of the the lines from the Warren right. Eckes. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit more about that. So she said she had failed at life in the bus and she felt like now that they were in this house, she could become the godly woman that she was meant to be. And this was her new phase in life to succeed. So they started engaging in three nights per week of Bible studies in their living room. Rusty didn't believe in organized religion because of what he learned from, you know, Michael Warnecke. At this point, Rusty had moved away from the Warneckes. He didn't really want to have anything to do with them anymore because of that one falling out that they had. However, Andrea was still in contact with the Warneckes and she was still getting their newsletter every week and she was still writing and receiving letters back and forth from Rachel Warnecke. She was captivated with them and their whole repent or burn in hell philosophy because she was not (sighs) mentally well. And I think it just in a lot of ways, she rationalized her evil thoughts and things like that. Instead of saying I'm mentally unwell, she thought she was being possessed by a demon. She thought Satan was working in her life. We're going to go into some more things that she mm. thought she was just having delusions. And it was all wrapped up in what the Warneckes had fed into her brain. Wonderful. There was a time that Andrea was so enthralled with the Warneckes messaging that it really distressed her parents. And even Rusty started worrying about how much she had bought into the Warneckes teaching. And he's the one that introduced her. Yeah. One of the other teachings, I think I mentioned this earlier, but I just want to bring it up again, that Michael Warnecke said the role of women is derived from the sin of Eve. And basically, he said that bad mothers create bad children that will burn in hell. Wow. I was trying to refrain from saying, fuck you. (laughs) Yeah. But I'm just I'm just constantly there today. I don't know what else to say. So about you dudes with your freaking evil sticks like Oh, my God. So I, don't, I guess I guess the Warnuckies are the only ones that aren't going to burn in hell. I guess not. You know, they always, it's just yeah. a delusion. Always is. It just really sucks when they are able to take Pray. these very impressionable people and use them. Obviously. Why? Why would they need to give you money? If God takes care of everything. If every Yeah. Right. It makes no sense. It's been what religion has done from the dawn of time. They make yeah. you feel guilty. The Catholic Church pay, did this. Pay, pay. Yes doesn't matter there's tithing or donations everywhere but where does it actually go right look at joel osteen we know where it goes oh that guy yeah he's from houston texas too gross anyways let's get back to this joel osteen you're gross yeah that's why i say sometimes i wish there was a hell for some of these people that think they're so righteous i need to write them all letters (laughs) please (laughs) donate going to hell You're going to hell. Does that work? You're going to hell. All right. Give me money now. So by the spring of 2000, Andrea became pregnant again. And this is a decision that was against all of the doctor's orders. Basically, they said... Was it a decision? (laughs) That's the question. (laughs) If you remember, when they got married, they said they were going to have as many children as God would allow. And so Andrea and Rusty felt like if she got pregnant again, it was God's will. Rusty believed that because Andrea was doing better and they knew that she had postpartum psychosis, they could just manage through it again. Mm -hmm. That's what he thought. So 
having another baby. They're just going to do it. They're going to put her on medicines again. Of course, he's not the one going through the hell. No. She is. I don't know if it was her decision to get pregnant again. I don't. Nobody knows. She won't talk about it. It feels like it's not really a decision, though. If you're not on. If you're not on birth control. And you can't tell your husband no to sex. I mean, with the way everything's been, really, I highly doubt that she was wanting another child. So the news greatly alarmed her doctor, Eileen Starbranch. She had warned her not to have another baby because she'd already gone into psychosis and it was going to get even worse with the fifth baby. Andrea's mother had always believed that Rusty was the one that demanded Andrea have these babies and she felt like Rusty was directly responsible for Andrea's breakdown. And then her best friend, Debbie Holmes, echoed this view of Rusty. She claimed that Andrea continually depicted Rusty as manipulative and controlling and that Rusty pushed her to have the babies. She said that this was something that Andrea confided in to her whenever she, you know, had the one day in six months to hang out with her friends. It's not like a baby is something that, you know, you're feeling the fat of it. Right. This is a human being that you're bringing into the world. I always see women like on social media. I want another baby. I'm like, they're a baby for two seconds. And then it's a this child that you have to raise. Yes. human being. That you're responsible for. That you're for responsible for forever. in every way. And yes. forever. Ugh. I know too many people get caught up just like people who get caught up with the the whole wedding and don't think about the marriage. People get caught up with the baby and don't think about the child when you're younger. It's the societal influence on women as soon as we're born to like plan for our wedding and like Prince Charming's coming and and then you have it and it's not what you were told it was going to be. And I feel like and I feel like this happens with babies. I don't think people tell you the full truth of how hard it is to raise children. I mean, they're freaking cute, but man, I haven't slept since she was born. Yes. I I cannot imagine having this many children. I cannot. Andrea probably knew this, but she was too afraid to tell her husband, I don't want to have more kids. But at the same time, and it's always this conversational, well, she's, she doesn't work. I'm like, she, she works, works real hard than the other <laughs> dude bringing home the 130K uh, or whatever. Are you kidding me? I would rather, much rather go to an office every day Seriously. than like homeschool. Are you kidding me? I don't even want to homeschool one child. And then at different ages? Yeah. What? No way. No way. So Andrea's pregnant again with her fifth child. And just as Star Branch predicted, Andrea took a downward dive as soon as Mary was born. Here's what else happened. Her father, he died from his Alzheimer's Mm, right after Mary was born. (gasps) Oh, my God. So that drove her even more into depression, psychosis. And at the same time, even handle that. She was grieving her father, who she was very close to. She has postpartum depression, psychosis coming back. And she's still in contact with Rachel Waranecki and receiving their newsletters. And she was, for whatever reason, becoming more obsessed. It was probably part of her mental illness. She was becoming more absorbed with their teachings from the Bible. She has an infant suckling, four other children, no help. Her dad just died, postpartum depression. And she's staring at these letters that say women are evil. And, and then on top of it, she rereads them, I bet. Over and over. Over and over again. The effects of the traumatic circumstance of her father's death combined with her postpartum depression psychosis, Andrea stopped talking. She would sit there and hold Mary, but she wouldn't feed her. Oh, poor baby. 
She stopped drinking liquids Mm. and she began scratching and picking at her scalp until Mm. she started to get bald spots again. So only four months after Mary's birth, Rusty saw that his wife was deteriorating and they needed to re-hospitalize her. However, he didn't take her back to where she had gone before because of insurance changes or something like that. And so he just found the closest treatment center he could. And it was in their insurance network. And that was called the Devereaux Texas Treatment Center. So when he showed up there, he admitted her and he asked the staff who the best doctor was because he needed someone who was on their game to handle Andrea. And they said, oh, all of our psychiatrists are good. Any of them are as good as another. (laughs) So he ended up with a doctor named Mohammed Saeed. So here's the thing about Mohammed Saeed. He doesn't have good reviews. And Mm. this was not something that Rusty knew. Like, I do feel bad for Rusty because he didn't know. He thought he was taking his wife to get help. But Saeed already had an open wrongful death situation against him. But because it was still pending, it wouldn't show up on his record or show anything. He had studied in Pakistan, but he did not have his like a license. He did not have his accreditations in America yet. Okay. How was he working at this place then? That's a good question. Our medical system, I don't know. messed up. He had whatever he needed to be hired here. There's a lot, and there's a nurse that I have an interview with about Devereaux, and it sounds like there was a lot of bad things going on here as far as just patient neglect, understaffing. The doctors didn't listen to the nurses. Mm -hmm. Maybe the doctors had too many patients, and she specifically said Saeed was not a doctor she liked to work with. She said he never even looked at his patient's She said he would never spend more than about five minutes with them and he would just be writing notes the whole time and not really observing them. So gross. He doesn't sound like a really caring doctor where she had Star Branch before. Who was really concerned and really taking care of her down to the bottom of this and figure it out. And so Rusty keeps telling Dr. Saeed, this has happened before. This is what we did. Haldol was the only drug that brought her out of psychosis before. We should give her that. Dr. Saeed said, Haldol is a old drug. We don't use that anymore. I'm going to give her something different. So he gave her a different antipsychotic. It didn't do anything for her. Oh, no. That's so frustrating to know that you already know what the course of treatment was. Yeah. And he's trying to be a victim's advocate. You know, that's a horrible place to be because doctors also don't like people telling them what to do. Of course. And they're like, I'm smart enough to know. Like Saeed had no accreditation or experience with postpartum psychosis. He was just a regular psychiatrist. And, you know, they each have their different fields of study. And he did not know how to treat her. Of course not. There is some speculation. He took a lot of notes. Like Rusty said that he saw Saeed take pages and pages of notes while meeting with him. But then when the trial came about and Saeed had to testify, he thought that the notes had been revised. So there's a lot Mm. going on there because Saeed was the one that was treating her when she killed her five children. Oh, my gosh. He testified that Andrea was in a catatonic state, but she did not seem psychotic. And so he didn't feel like she needed the howl doll that her husband said she did. <laughs> wow. Another man being like, she's good. We're okay. Totally cool. Bold spots. It's all right. They were just itchy. And once again, they pumped her full of drugs. I think they did finally give her one injection of howl doll. They also talked about doing electrocurrent therapy again, which they said no to. Andrea was discharged after only 10 days because that's all insurance would pay for. 
Oh my gosh. So they packed her bags and sent her home. Eventually we get to a point where Rusty's like, it's all right. My mom's not here yet. I can leave. Right. So that's what Rusty did. When she came home, he called his mom, Dora, and said, can you come stay with her? So she was sent home. It was May 3rd. And she was supposed to have outpatient meetings with Dr. Saeed and keep making sure that she was doing okay. He sent her home with, once again, like Wellbutrin, Effexor, you know, Zoloft, the regular medicines, and she flushed them all down the toilet. She didn't want to take them because a lot of people who are mentally unwell do that. Yeah. You have yeah, to watch them. And I don't know what you do in that situation. I don't know how you make people take medicine. You, I don't I mean, like you, you really can't, can't babysit them. Not unless it really kind of is an injection type of situation. Like you said, Dr. Saeed did not want to keep giving her Haldol. So she was off of Haldol in May and she was not taking any of the other medicines he sent home with her. So she just went home and relapsed instantaneously. Basically. Here's what Rusty was thinking is that she'll come out of it. She's popped out of it before. We just need to give her more time. And my mom will come stay with her. And eventually she'll get back to her regular yeah, self. Yeah, you know, just another baby. It's all right. We can get through this again. Totally cool. But while he's thinking all of that, Andrea is going into full psychosis now right she's watching cartoons and she thinks the cartoons are talking oh, to no. her she watched oh brother where art thou that movie oh my and god she said that's that, not a good movie to watch if you're high no. and you know the scary part with the devil guy at yeah the end? she said he talked directly to her oh and he came in and possessed her oh my goodness she said the demons were inside of her and specifically the devil possessed or not what do you think of yourself in these moments? We can't even pretend because we haven't been there. We can't understand what she was feeling in these moments. No. But so, oh, Brother Where Out There is a fucked up movie. It is. So, and especially for a woman who is mentally compromised right? yeah. and, and reading Fire and Brimstone newsletters from the Warneckies. Yeah. I won't go into all of this, but there was a lot of malpractice in my mind because not only did he not give her Haldol, but like he one week before she killed her children, he took the one medicine that she was, I think, taking one of the regular like Zoloft or Effexor or whatever, and he dropped it from like 300 milligrams to 150, which you're never supposed to drop it that fast. I think there was a lot of that was the doctor. On. Yeah. Nope. You're not, you know, these things are addictive. Our system requires a buildup. And if you're getting off, it requires a build down. And she had just, they were just throwing everything at her trying yeah. to fix it. So what did they do? Did they break her even more? That's Who knows? She's like this poor little robot and they're yes. like trying to replace her parts and do this and do this. And I'm like, put her outside in the grass and let her sit there for a fucking year. Yeah. Like take all these stop. kids somewhere and let her just go. It's too much I yes it's too much I agree while Dora which was her mother-in-law was staying with her there was one day she went upstairs and she filled up the bathtub with water and her mother-in-law came up and asked her why she filled the bathtub up and she told her that she saw the water people in the area like the water company and she thought that they were going to turn their water off because she was in this paranoia state. Oh. She said, I don't remember if we paid the bill. I bet they're going to turn off our water. So I'm just filling up the bathtub with water so that oh, we no. have water. Was that the truth? I don't know. Maybe she was already thinking about it doing. You know, that's kind of strangely almost like an Alzheimer's thing to do where you're not aware of where you are in your house or you're not aware yeah. of what's going on. She should know that that bill is paid. 
Unless right. it was a regular thing that maybe he didn't they pay got the bill on bills. time. But if that's not the case, you start to have these weird things. Like you're sitting in your own house. The person with Alzheimer's, like, we got to pay the bill. We got to pay the bill. And we're like, no, we're here. You know, right. like, I wonder how early can Alzheimer's start? Her dad died it could of it. Be. And, and depression and bipolar does run I mean, in her she family. Just sounds so. She's lost. Wow. Her last appointment with Saeed was on June 18th. And she killed the children on June 20th. June 18th. This is a month's time? From when she was released? Yeah. Yes. Oh, my gosh. They hadn't been giving her Haldol. And once again, when they went in on June 18th, Rusty said, she is not talking. She's refusing to eat. I'm worried about her. Can we give her some Haldol? Dr. Saeed said no. And he adjusted her level of antidepressants. He suggested that she needed to see a psychologist rather than a psychiatrist. And perhaps just think positive thoughts. That's what he prescribed to her and this, on June 18th. So this entire time from the first time that you heard about this when you were in college, you had no idea. I had no idea about any She was of just this. portrayed as a as woman a who killed her children. Mm-hmm. Wow. Holy shit. That's why I'm kind of glad I'm doing the story to bring Seriously. it out there. So the next afternoon after she was told to think positive thoughts, Andrea was just watching cartoons on television, just kind of in a catatonic state. She went to bed. She didn't change her clothes. She didn't shower. She just went to bed. And Rusty's watching this and she's odd. You know, he's like, she's acting odd. She said later that she had a nightmare during the night, but she wouldn't tell Rusty what it was about. But she told people later when she was interviewed that that was the night she realized she needed to drown the children. Mm. She did this because she thought she was possessed by Satan and that the Warnackies, I keep going back to them because I haven't gone into all their detail. The Warnackies taught that children would only go to heaven before the age of 12. <gasps> After 12, they were basically damned to hell unless they followed their teachings. So Andrea, she knew that she was done with life and she's like, I need to save my kids first. Exactly. She thought drowning her children would make sure they went to heaven and that she was Satan. She could drown these children to save them so they would go to heaven and then she would be arrested and put to death. Because she's Satan and she needs to be taken out of the world. This was Andrea's thought. This is what she believed. God, my heart. I know. I mean, all of that to bring five kids into the world. Andrea loved her children. She loved them more than anything. She thought in her state, in her psychosis, this was the only way her children would survive and go to heaven. And she has no one else. They're like, oh, shit, she's breaking again. Let's go take her somewhere. Let's get that medicine. Oh, wait, don't take medicine. Oh, wait, no, you don't get support. Oh, wait, you have to stay in this bus. Oh, wait, you don't get to have any sort of life whatsoever. And you're a bad You're you're a sinful woman. So after Andrea was arrested, she told psychiatrist Dr. Philip Resnick that her children would not grow up to be righteous. She believed killing them before they turned sinful had saved them from hell and that only her execution for killing them would defeat Satan on earth. She immediately confessed that she was the one who drowned her kids and she explained that she waited for her husband to leave before committing that act. She had even put the family dog in the kennel that morning to make sure he would not interfere. So while she was with the psychiatrist, they asked her why she did not tell doctors before she drowned her children that 
she had these thoughts yeah. that she was thinking that she was Satan, that her children were not going to be righteous. And she said, I just believe that if you tell somebody something bad, then it will happen. It's like, you know, Satan, he can hear us what we say. And I was afraid to share it with people because that would make it happen. And those were the thoughts she had about the TVs and the cameras in the house. And she was afraid Satan would ruin her children. So her lawyer was George Purnham. He was hired by a family friend and he took up her case and he was kind of like the grandfatherly. He just really took care of her and he still talks to her to this day Hmm. because he realized she was very sick. Yeah. And some may think that a mentally ill mother who committed such an act of killing her own children should be judged as insane. Yet at the time... When this happened, news accounts and court records were suggesting that she was not insane because she had confessed to doing it and she knew it was wrong and she wasn't helping anyone because she (sighs) was saying she wanted to be executed. If you understand right from wrong, then you can be charged in one way or another. So Texas is one of the strictest states. Of course they are. That's where it all started. Yeah. They're also (laughs) one of the highest capital death penalty states anyways they are one of the hardest ones to be able to enter a plea of insanity Mm -hmm. because if you know right from wrong like you just said yeah you cannot be shown as insane and that's exactly what happened here for Andrea the prosecuting attorney decided they were going to go for the death penalty and with that they picked a jury that's okay with the death penalty. And what that means is you have people who are not going to be as open to hearing things about mental illness. They're just going to look at pictures of dead children and say, this woman deserves to die. Right. And that's what happened. Yeah. She went in for a competency hearing and they brought in all the psychiatrists. It didn't matter. They brought in one witness on the prosecution side and his name is Park Dietz and he was a famous expert witness. He had been in all kinds of other trials that people had tried to get off with an insanity plea. So that was kind of his niche was making sure that he could prove that the person knew right from wrong. And he was very good. He actually worked on Law and Order. He was like their medical, the expert that helped like write the stories for Law and Order. So he was very kind of a famous guy, I guess you could say. And when you are seeking the death penalty, you don't have a budget (laughs) from the prosecution side. You can spend all the money you want on experts (gasps) and things like that. What the heck? In Texas. So they went out and they got the big headers because they wanted. Wow. They wanted to make sure that she went down because it was so sensationalized in the I news. I get it. Five and kids. Yeah. I get it. It's a, it's a horrible yeah. thing, right? And everybody's like, how can this woman do it? She right. must burn at the stake. So that's what they did. And so she was found to be competent to stand trial and the trial went forward. I understand. It's five children. If you're sitting there and you're like, yeah, I killed my kids. But if you're completely emotionally detached from even being able to say that, you're fucked up there's a you're having a mental break right right for her to sit there without emotions and be like I killed my kids yes when she was known otherwise for the longest time they've been trying to get her help forever just because she can say that and say I know this is wrong kill me that just shows that we don't understand the complexity of mental illness yet And and it's written into law and what was so frustrating is they brought up on the defense side, they brought out three witnesses that had all treated Andrea and they went through all of the medical records. And this mm-hmm. was a very long trial and they went through everything and they had good information. But then the prosecution guy came out, Park Dietz, and he was 
very good at telling a story and whatever Mm -hmm. story it needed to be told. And so he went into the right and wrong. And the other thing that he brought up was that he worked on Law and Order. He had to bring that up multiple times because he's <laughs> a douche. I'm famous, yes. guys. <laughs> just so you know, no one else knows me, but I. This is my only opportunity <laughs> to put my name out there. But he testified that there had been an episode of Law and Order that was about a mother with postpartum depression who drowned her children, and she was found not guilty by reason of insanity. And his implication was that Andrea got the idea from watching that Law and Order show and therefore she she knew kidding me and And so it's not until people like you right now telling the story of her life and here's the other fucked up thing park deets only talked to andrea for like five minutes he did not sit down and evaluate her like a real psychiatrist that's a stupid name in any way he probably made it up probably it's not a good one to make up so the jurors gave andrea life in prison They did not give her the death penalty based on both sides agreed that she was mentally unwell. Okay. But they did not get her insanity, insanity, which meant she went to prison. Right. With a life sentence. And the way it works in Texas is that you cannot be up for parole for at least 40 years if given a life sentence. So she was up for parole in 2041. Texas is harsh. I have a lot of information about the Texas death penalty, but... Harris County alone is the highest death penalty. They said if you looked at states, Harris County would be like the third state in the country. Just that wow. county because they love the death penalty there. Definitely don't get arrested in Harris County. because I mean, don't do bad things, but yeah, don't murder people. But wow. Also, don't get pregnant and have a miscarriage or anything like that. You know, get out of Texas. Right. So they talked to the jurors and the jurors explanations for giving her the life sentence. They said they were heavily swayed by the prosecution's presentation of the case and specifically Park Dietz's testimony. In their view, Andrea's manner of killing her children seemed premeditated and methodical. They cited Andrea's videotaped confession and the photographs of her children alive and dead as the most compelling evidence of their belief that Andrea knew right from wrong. But she was the one that called 911, said, come get me. This isn't a normal situation, okay? People who murder people don't immediately turn themselves in, especially five people. This is not a normal human brain operating So that's what the prosecution said is the fact that, and this is actually my next sentence. You're so funny because you're reading my mind like usual. (laughs) According to one juror, because Andrea called the police immediately after the killings and can converse with them and account for her behavior, it seemed as if she was thinking very clearly. She was able to describe what she did and therefore she knew exactly what she was doing. And so they felt like she did this so that she could then use the insanity plea because Park Dietz said that she saw it on his show. Oh, fuck. And... And so they convinced them that that's what she did. That's ridiculous. You can just flip it the other way, right? Oh, well, she's actually doing this so she can (laughs) use insanity. Yeah. Why would she kill her five children to be like, well, I can just use the insanity plea. This is why I'm doing this. So I think that they just sensationalized and they showed a lot of pictures of these dead children. It pulled on the heartstrings of the jurors and they discounted. The fact that what other motive did she have to kill her children? There was no other motive than her saying, I'm Satan and I'm trying to save them from, of course, the devil made me do it. We're in the 90s still. Where are we? I don't know. 2002 at this point. Well, still it's on the cusp. 
This is crazy. I do have good news. In 2005, there was an appeals court for this case. Okay. Thank God. They were able to prove that Park Dietz's testimony was in fact false. There was never an episode on Law and Order about a woman drowning her kids. They said that that expert witness tainted the jury and therefore it needed to be thrown out. And so they were able to do that. And the jury agreed that she did not know right from wrong because in her mind, she was doing what was right by she the kids. She was doing what was she, yeah, she was trying to save them. She had severe mental illness and she totally met the requirements of the insanity plea under Texas law. And so she was found not guilty in 2005 by reason of insanity. And she was sentenced to remediation in the Caraville State Hospital. This is a low security mental hospital facility in Texas. And they are one of the best supposedly in Texas for the treatment of mental illness. And that is where she is today. She's not in prison anymore? No, she was taken to a hospital. Wow. So she's in the care Wow, wow, wow. Okay. Maybe someday she'll come out. I'm going to tell you a little bit more, but right now I want to go back and I want to talk about what her mom has to say. She stood by her daughter the whole time through the conviction. She knew her daughter was a very sick woman and she went on TV after her daughter was convicted the first time for life in prison and she wanted to make sure everyone heard the family side of the story. Right. And she says her son-in-law, Russell Yates, should share in the responsibility for the murder of the kids. Rusty didn't help his wife with the kids ever. And she said even after Andrea started showing signs of depression, Rusty did not lift a finger. She said, when they came to my house, I mentioned that Luke needed his diaper changed. Luke was their fourth child. And Rusty said, that'd be a first that he needs his diaper changed. I've never changed a diaper in my life. Oh, my God. That was their fourth child. That's ridiculous. And Andrea's mother was like, I was absolutely horrified. I think that's when she realized because her daughter had just had the first psychotic break that she knew of. Right. And she realized Rusty hasn't even changed a fucking diaper. Anything. She has four kids and he's never. He doesn't even know how to change a diaper. How many men do not change diapers? I went through it myself with my daughter. So. She also said that Rusty wanted her daughter to continue having children because he had a vision of having six boys and one girl. (gasps) What? That was his, I guess, picture perfect family. She also said if somebody tells people continuously that men are superior and women are inferior and that they should be subservient to men, I don't think that's a good place. She never thought her daughter was in danger to the children, but she said that she thought she was a danger to herself because Mm. of all of this. But she said Andrea should have never been left alone with those children. There was another story that I saw and I didn't put it in here, but I'm going to bring it up now. The police, when they were at their house and Andrea had just killed the children. One of the policemen came out to talk to him and said, can I get you a glass of water? Because they weren't letting him in the house or anything Mm. like that. And he said, yeah, if you can find a clean dish in the house. Fuck you. He fucking said that to the police officer. My God. Because she probably had to wash all the dishes. She had to cook dinner every night. Are you kidding me? She had to take care of all the kids. Five kids while going through a psychotic, ridiculous Rusty did nothing. And her mom basically confirmed that in this interview. I'm sorry, dudes out there. A job is so much easier than doing what she was being forced to do. Right. So much easier. You know, so much easier. Sometimes we're like not even really working. We actually like have an hour where we're like, well, do you know this is okay? Yeah. But when you're a mom with five children at home and you're losing your fucking mind and you have all the house chores to do and everything else, an hour is a year. 
Yes. Oh, my God. Okay. Shortly after the guilty verdict came out, Andrea Yates actually wrote a letter about her children to her family, to her mom and her brothers. And I just want to read it because it just to me says that Andrea knew and loved her children and she really thought she was doing what was in their best interest. So she wrote this letter and her mother read it out loud in the interview. Noah, he was my firstborn. He was so inquisitive and his favorite thing was hatching monarch butterflies. John, with his cute grin, he loved to do crafts and was very enthusiastic. Precious Paul was nurturing and loving. He thought to please us and be special friends to his brothers. Beautiful Luke was always trying to keep up with his brothers. He was nurturing, especially to his baby sister. Beautiful Mary was such a loving baby with bright blue eyes. I thank God I was blessed with such a precious family. That's not enough to say about five babies. So let's talk about where everyone is today. So Andrea, like I said, is in Caraville State Hospital, and she's been there since the second trial in 2005. At this point, her psychosis has been brought under control, and she's back to thinking rationally again. This is a woman who now has to live with the fact that while she was extremely unwell, she murdered all five of her children, and she's had many breakdowns. Her mother speaks about her daughter breaking down and just saying, why did I do it? Like, just... yeah. She's living her own version of hell now. She's living hell. Of course she is. To this day, a review comes up every year for her release. Like she could appeal to get out of the hospital. And every year since 2005, Andrea Yates completely waves the right. She doesn't want out of the hospital. She wants to stay there. Hmm. Most likely Andrea will be in the hospital for the rest of her life. But they probably keep her. Honestly, she probably can't live with herself. Of course not. How do you become a functioning person after that? How do you move out and live in an apartment? Like exactly. She, How do you she do wants that? to stay there and get drugs probably and zone out 24 yeah. seven. I get the understanding between people who are like, I'd rather not be here versus this existence. Right. I mean, it's an understandable thing. But if there was a way for her to get to a point where she's somewhat past that and can be an advocate, an for, advocate other women. for other women who are going through just, I know. I mean, she can touch on so many topics, religion and postpartum yes. and having a difficult controlling part. Like uh, so much. She could do so much with what she knows and what she went through. She really could. But I just don't think she has. I don't expect her to have the fucking yeah. energy left for the rest of her life to be able to do that. So Rusty Yates continued to support his wife through all of it he was quoted a few times saying that even though she killed the children he still loved his wife and he he forgave her what however in 2004 he he got remarried and had another baby (laughs) (laughs) you're shaking your head he did that he filed for divorce in 2004 and he got remarried and had another baby oh my god However, his new wife did not like the fact that he kept in contact with Andrea and visited her at the hospital and they ended up divorced. She told him when she was arrested and he came in and asked her why she did it. She basically told him, I hope you have a great life. I don't think she really wanted much more to do with Rusty. Right. I wonder if maybe that's why she wants to stay in the hospital. (laughs) She's like, I'm not going to have anything to do do with with him. She feels like a super connectedness and needs to be with him if she were to be out? I don't know. Andrea was a very mild-mannered, quiet, 
people pleasing, like maybe she knows that she would fall back into those same patterns. This codependency stuff, it's really freaking serious. It's, you know, yeah. it's a very serious thing. And people stay together for Their 10, 20, sometimes. 30, yeah. 40 plus years because of it. And it's entire lives are wasted on codependency. And that's really, really sad. And she had never been with anyone else. And so like, her strength now is to stay in the hospital. Right. Because that's her that's her independence. Exactly. So there was a little brightness. Like you mentioned, she could have been an advocate. Several professional communities have used Andrea's case to try to prevent a similar tragedy from occurring. I think this really brought to light how serious postpartum depression can get. But it's not just that. No, it's the other things too. But yeah. this is what I know has been done. So the Mental Health Association of Greater Houston established the Yates Children Memorial Fund to educate the public about issues affecting women's mental health. Mm -hmm. And in 2003, the Texas State Legislature passed the Andrea Yates Bill. The bill mm. requires all providers of prenatal care to give new mothers information about resources available to help them with postpartum depression. Not just a fucking pamphlet. Okay. Know. You know, we get all of those. The dentist, everywhere we go. <laughs> that's that's not good enough. I know. And that's actually what one of you once again are speaking ahead. So <laughs> Chan McDermott of the Texas Department of State Health Services said the bill didn't really do that much. He's like, you can screen all day long, but what is really needed is more care providers who specialize yeah, in prenatal disorders. Exactly. There's just not people who take it seriously. And I feel like I'm going to get on a little soapbox here. Women's health issues are never taken as seriously no. as men's. No, never. We're just taught that we just suck it up. Suck it up. You mom, you, I want to say a bad word, you bitch. Yeah, you know, like, we're just being emotional up. and like, but men get one kidney stone and they almost fucking die. Oh my gosh. And we give I feel them like everything. I go through kidney stone things every day sometimes. Right. This is ridiculous. Just, we are the rulers of the world. That is all. Thank you. Goodbye. <laughs> <laughs> so in conclusion, this was a hard case for me to read. That was, and I it mean, brought up was, so many emotions. This entire time I did not know this one, but so many triggers and Every part of this story for me, first and foremost, poor little babies. These poor to be, children. To be brought into this world, to have not only the life that they had. On a bus. On a bus and everything that they went through. Because I feel like we don't have the whole story there either. No. As far as like maybe there was some other abuse that we are not aware of. Because kids don't just like willy nilly go into a freaking storage container to sleep <laughs> right or jump into a bathtub just they're probably their mom told says go in the bath for all we know they were told if they don't get down in the compartment they're gonna burn in hell and we have no idea i mean because it's not normal that this many children are like living that the way that they are in america let me make that clear in america and in right. the society and in that a we family have here. that had the means and he had the means he had the money how do I not my my brain is about to burst my heart is about to burst my skin is on fire and the anxiety of how you described what Andrea's been through I know how do you not lose your mind I don't know that I wouldn't have lost my mind if you have a man telling you the and only man you forget that he expects you to stay in the exact same physical yeah, shape I didn't bring that up all again so there's so much pressure yeah. Be a perfect mom, look like a sexy woman. And oh, by the way, this religious person over here is telling you that you're sinful and you're responsible for if your kids go to hell. Five children. I know. Breaks my heart. So her crime is one of the most unimaginable out there. It is. A, a mother killing five children. And it was 
carried out through mental illness. While you can't dismiss the seriousness of five children dying, we have to acknowledge that this woman was not getting the help and the support that she needed. And to me, that's the biggest tragedy here is that if she'd had the right help and the support, these five little children would be fine today. They would be living lives. They would be maybe old enough to be getting married themselves. And and it, yeah. And it wasn't even about someone not recognizing it. She was screaming out. I'm yes. not okay. Things yes. are not okay. And because of the insurance system, dismissing her because of her husband not taking the recommendation of the doctor to not get pregnant again. She recovered after Luke. She was back to herself. She was baking. They were having things. He got her pregnant again because he had this idea of having six boys and a girl. Uh. If they had stopped with Luke with their fourth child, she had recovered from that psychosis. They probably would have been fine. He decided to have another baby. He decided. That's what her mom says. That's what her friend says. I mean, that's what makes sense in this entire scenario. Right. With the timing and everything else that happened. You take a huge step back and she was just a girl living her life, doing nursing, floating in a pool. Yep. And then she met Rusty Yates. (laughs) (laughs) I'm rolling my eyes. I I know. I roll my eyes. Be careful, girls, with what man... Don't be, even if you get the butterflies and you're like, dude, that shit can go wrong so fast. We see it right here. I mourn for these five children for sure. Absolutely. Their lives were completely taken away. But I also mourn for Andrea. Her life was taken away and her dreams and and the things like you just said were were taken. Everything was snuffed out. And and it wasn't over a long period of time. We're talking. It took seven years. Once she had that first baby. It took seven years for this all to happen. Yes. And to go from being a happy little family with a a baby and then him shifting everything to bus life and doing everything and this and this and you got to stay home and you're the devil and this and you're responsible and blah, blah, blah. Seven years. That's actually really, really fast. And she completely degraded into thinking Five she was Satan. children? Are you kidding yeah. me? I'm asking everyone who's listening right now. Think seven years ago. It went by like that. Yep. Right? And she had to deal with all of this in that amount of time. How do you not break from reality? And she did. Like, Have some grace for babies. You warned me. You did. And here's I, the other I'm thing. on the other side. I don't know why. Here's the other it, thing. It's the human side. Michael Warnecki and Rachel Warnecki have a piece in this too. Yeah. Screw them. They will not admit to it. They've been interviewed. And like I said, I didn't go into it. But he says that it was nothing to do with them and blah, blah, blah. And Rusty had a piece in this. Of course he did. I have not seen where he's taken responsibility either. How is he going to? His wife killed them, right? So... And he played the poor me card and went and got a new wife and like started attending church and whatever. Oh, he went back to church. This dude just needs to go be gay or something (laughs) in the backwoods. Well, his second wife divorced him. Maybe he's not so happy (laughs) now. I don't know. But I did see that the lawyers for Andrea and perhaps the state, they did look into if they could bring up charges against Rusty and the Warrenekis because they felt like mm. they had a piece I mean, in the story, really. but there wasn't anything. Of course not, because it's it's all the mental influence onto her that created this to happen. And it's not like they could say, 
go murder. Correct. Go do this. And they, you know? they didn't. But they, yeah. I saw a quote where they said, you, you know, know, bad people create people doing bad things. And that's just what it is. Like, and one of her doctors said if she had not been exposed to the Waraneckis, she would have never had this no, in her mind. To I bet you she would have left him too. She'd be like, I'm yes. a strong woman. I've done all this. I don't need to deal with this bullshit. She was beat down by the Waraneckis and told she was a sinful, evil Jezebel. And she was isolated. She was cut off from yes. everybody. So sad and so, unfortunate. Yes. And I guess that's all I have to say but about it. her story, just like any woman who is willing to speak up about this stuff, you're not alone. No. This shit fucking happens and it can end badly. Don't let it. Yes. Recognize, Don't be ashamed. Recognize your limits. Ask for help. And I'm going to say it to you right now. Screw your religion. I'm sorry. You're a human being here on this planet. You do not have to suffer. That is not what you have to do on this no. body in this timeline. You don't have to suffer. No. God doesn't. If you believe in God and all that. He doesn't want you suffering for a fucking man. Never. No. I'm sorry. Okay. Preach. <laughs> I guess I'm preaching. We're on our soapboxes. I knew I knew it when I brought this over. I was like, oh, we're going to get fired She's up like, here. Jessica. And we sure fucking are. <laughs> Anyways, we go outside, take a walk, look at some do. butterflies yes. and some bears and snakes. What is it? <laughs> Lions and tigers and bears. Oh, oh my. <laughs> bears and snakes. And <laughs> I said butterflies. No, what's the other? What I don't know. Do mosquitoes. <laughs> oh, my. <laughs> okay, we're getting silly again. Oh, Let's end of see it, here. I would say I hope you enjoyed this episode. I, yeah. I don't know that it's an enjoyable episode, but I think it's an important it's episode. It's an important one. I feel and like yes, men and women, take account for your place in a relationship. None of us is more in debt to the other no. than the other one. Nobody's like, subservient and all that bullshit. Like, fuck, fuck that. that. Take care of each other. That's take what care of I, each other like, and your children. Why, why be in a relationship if you don't want to take care of each other and you're just expecting a woman to wait on you? It's like you can hire help for that. Seriously. That's or not go a relationship be, person. You know, and guess what? It is very rare that the man is in this position. We always have more grace for the woman because we know. Yes. We know what happens. And it's so easy to discredit the woman that is going through all of this. I've seen it happening for years now. Mm -hmm. No more bullshit. We're not no. your slaves. No. Even if I love you, never. I'm not your home wife. I'm cooking I'm for gonna, you because I want to and I love yeah, you, not because to. you came home and said, where's my fucking dinner? And this is going to be yummy. And right. No, there are no responsibilities like that. It is just an equal, an equal give and take. That is what should only be expected. Especially yes. in when both people are working and both are contributing. Yes. And if the other one wants to go contribute and be the one working too, like they deserve to have the independence of that as well. Right. And if you want to be a stay at home mom, just make sure you're mapping out what all that means yes. and who's doing so what. That he, because there can be successful relationships that way. And other people will understand, hey, this is what I'm doing. This is my part right. of this. Or everybody just needs to be single. <laughs> Sanity is so important. Yes. There's been so many mental discussions lately in this world, which is good. Yeah. We got to stop discrediting each other for needing our moments and needing our time. You've just taken on a completely new life and instantaneously. And it's all going to hit you at some point. It's going to hit me. I know. It and is. hopefully it doesn't make you think Maybe that I you're should Satan. smoke some weed while I do it. Okay. <laughs> Alrighty, guys. I think that was a really good episode. I think you know where we stand now. <laughs>
I think so. I think sometimes we spit out more than we even want to. We just can't help it. It's who we are and we get passionate. You know what? We're grown ass women at this point. And we've been through this kind of stuff. We've been through this stuff and no more bowing down. No more taking the backseat. No more do what you got to do for your own sanity. And you only live once. And we're glad you listened today. And we will be back next week with a new exciting topic. And keep it real. Totally get totally, totally just like totally go get <laughs> wasted or something. Guys. I'm a little wasted. Like, um, totally go to the pool, <laughs> have some good summer fun. Y'all should go on our social media. We <laughs> will post some pictures <sighs> of this episode as well. I'll show you Andrea and Rusty and the kids. And I don't know what I'm doing right now. Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, email us lucidlabpodcast at gmail.com. Go on your favorite podcast platform, subscribe, download all your favorite episodes, rate them, share with your friends. I think after this episode and we've brought it up, Stay Lucid definitely fits. Oh my gosh, it finally does. And we're out. Bye. Baby, 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 stay lucid. <laughs> <laughs>